I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk More Movies, the show where I try and talk about movies, but never really talk about anything and everything else. I am your host, Michael Breslin. To my left is... John Coyle. And to his left is... Dan Kion. And the birthday girl... Kiva Sweeney. Whoop! Sixteen and never been kissed. <laughs> <laughs> she's not, She's twenty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> and I've never been kissed. <laughs> I was about to say, like, you change it up, but then it would have got weird. Like. <laughs> mm, very weird. Wait, choose me. <laughs> You're about to get married for fuck's sake. <laughs> I was telling Chana had a wee thing for you, though. Oh, here oh, we go. go. What, You're only in? a woman. Is he none? There you go. Oh. Oh. The first, the first kiss on the podcast. <laughs> first po- the first, first the podcast wait. for months. Hey, that's the contract sale. I look at you, don't that. Well, you, what you obviously going to split up with John. I look at you. Ah, well. <laughs> <laughs> Just ask him, can you keep the gazebo? <laughs> that's the only thing you want that it works. <laughs> See, honestly, I, I would have thought it would be me and Shannon. Like, ah, <laughs> no. <laughs> but Mickey, I take you for ring your head. Look, like, you know what I mean. Yeah, I have you're, that. I have a goddamn gold digger. Ah, hundred percent. And I h- definitely have that lightsaber whooped off you straight away. <laughs> That'd be that first thing in the fucking prenup. I keep the belt on, give me that lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kiva, what'd you get for your big B day? For my big B day, I got um, a load of, well, 27. It's quite an adult age, I believe. It is, right. And uh, I got a load of really adult presents, such as. Um, like nano Lego blocks where you build Tyrannosaurus <laughs> Rex and a Bronchiosaurus. Um, they're really good. That's, that's just educational. Though. But they're like for they're for adults. It says not for children. The parts are like so small. Yeah, exactly. You would breathe them and never mind swallow them. It's like science. We we small bricks. You know what I mean? So yeah, I luckily need like a microscope and all they put them together. Yeah. And stuff. <laughs> they they do call me extra blocks, which I didn't need because they were all over the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> Did you make that fearful mistake and stand on one your bare feet? Yeah, honestly, it would be like getting a splinter. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you have such a deep love for Mickey. He collects Lego. I'm sorry for not in the podcast, but you're not ashamed of it. Oh, I've <laughs> mentioned it many times. On the, <laughs> the only reason why I didn't watch Ghostbusters this week is because I didn't have Ghostbusters, but I wanted to because I wanted to watch Ghostbusters while building the Lego Ecto-1 I got for my birthday from Jill. You are just essentially still a child, aren't you, Mickey? I think. Just children act like me. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm so cool. You were a trendsetter then? <laughs> I've been doing this shit for 27 years. <laughs> they've only started. <laughs> They're an amateur early. Yeah. Uh, do you want to give a wee update on Colin and his recovery? Uh, he's doing great. <laughs> That's up, <not> Dave. <that. laughs> 
Oh yeah, we got an update in in the week that he he had another operation and stuff, and his recovery is going really well. And the staff's actually really impressed with how well he's coming along, and so he's he's doing great. And hopefully we can get down to see him sometime. I think it's still going to be in another wee while, but yeah, it's all positive. A lot more optimistic than last week too. And again, like I mean, if 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 he's want they send on your your get well messages to the the Facebook site or even even the Twitter feed, I think he'd he'd really appreciate it. Definitely. We'll pass that shit on. And he'll be oh fuck, people care. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd be regional if people doesn't send him bags of cans. <laughs> <laughs> that just I, that just happens anyway. I'm wondering too, right? Is the muff true that he woke up on his hospital bed and the first thing he did was order a bag of cans? <laughs> How does one order a bag of cans to the hospital? Because <laughs> he couldn't talk when he first woke up as well, so he just wrote it down a piece of paper. <laughs> bag of cans. <laughs> just pointed to the can clutched in his hand somehow. <laughs> Even though he's been fucking out, out for the count for a few days. <laughs> bag, bag of cans on a piece of paper folded into a paper airplane thrown out the hospital window. Ten minutes later, the bag of cans was there. <laughs> Message <laughs> inside the can. <laughs> couldn't look it up. <laughs> Pointing furiously at it. <laughs> Boom! You got it this week. I uh, who was Danger Ball this week? Twas you. I think it was probably supposed to be me. Yeah, I said it was me. <laughs> Dan, <laughs> give me that top no, drawer no, no, action. I, no, no, I got it. I got it. Oh, it's not even the top <gasps> drawer. Not even the danger drawer. What's going no. on? What? See, last week... You've upset the routine. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I created the danger joint. I can destroy the danger joint. Um, I thought you said the danger joint. I, there, was, I, 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 there was some mispronunciation in there. That's, that's on our podcast that we do where we don't record anything. <laughs> oh, I forgot to hit record again. Every goddamn and this is like, this is our 100th episode, man. <laughs> yeah, that started way before this. Let's talk more But, uh, yeah, last week... Daniel provided a small bag of cans to yes. go along with his danger bottle. So I was inspired by that. He's an inspirational man. He's he's the inspirational he man. He is, and he's a visionary. Thanks very much. <laughs> Sorry, I'm right here. <laughs> <laughs> so I I got just a bag of cans with a bunch of different canned cocktails. So oh, you, so I er- like it. I love it. So everybody can just choose a wee can and have that. Oh, this turn into a fight. This is the true <laughs> tribute to calm here right here. <laughs> but do you work tomorrow? Yes. Oh, what time? Twelve. Ah, you're right. Right. Well, you're on a ten. I got the shorts. I'm on nine. Ooh. I'm oh, not well. working. <laughs> Fuck off, uh, Mickey. Dan. I also felt a bit bad since it's all alcoholic stuff and you're not drinking. So I got you a non-alcoholic beer. Oh, it's an Erdinger too. Quite nice. Yeah. Okay, so he wants to pick pick first. Are we Are we actually just dumping our hand under the bag? I think we should. Yeah. Lucky dub. There's six different kinds of cocktails. So that better be a mojito one here. I'm getting down to the bottom. If you get a mojito, I'm going to take a big massive I think I can feel the mint through the fingers. <laughs> <laughs> through the fingers. <laughs> Strawberry daiquiri. Bam. Okay, Shanko. Close mates. I'm so excited. This, is, this actually is Christmas come early. Oh, I know what they're going to say, the wrong bag. <laughs> it's it's double bag. Oh. <laughs> He's got the bag, the bag of cans. <laughs> double bag for my pleasure. <laughs> right, I'm going to take this one, and it is... A Cosmo. We Kramer going on here. Okay. It's hard to try and mix up the cans while you're going about. I don't think I've ever had a Cosmo. Oh, got a mojito. Oh, can we swap? <laughs> no. Oh, Mickey. It's my face. You can't swap. You have to... There'll be two mojitos have, in there. You have to bow down to the law of the bag. I know. Respect the dip. <laughs> respect, respect the, the dip, dip man. No double dipping. 
Yeah, so we have a, we have another candy pick out later on. Right, so I'm going to try this Cosmo first. Oh, good click. I like this. Right there. That's delightful. That actually is. It just tastes like cranberry juice. Aye, that's same <laughs> Just got my gold. Is it fizzy? No, it's not, which I like. I like it smooth. Ah. I, do, I don't like fuzzy cocktails. Throw me off. All right, so I'll go for the strawberry daiquiri. I'm just reading on the back here. So strawberry daiquiri contains 1% juice. Oh, that's that's <laughs> what I like. <laughs> <laughs> that's my currency. <laughs> no fuzz. Oh, smooth as well. Keep supposed to take a couple of drinks. That's it's nice. pretty good. It's pretty good. Uh, oh, my, my it's like a melted ice pool. Mm, I see, oh, that's a cracking description. That's a mine tastes like as well. My mojito shite is 3% juice. <laughs> Ooh, probably 1% a month. Bet you wish you had a swap now. Give a go, go. Okay. I'm just going to watch furiously. Watch with complete and utter envy. Sorry, this is a good camp. My mojitos are so rude. I love mine. No, I'm, I, I'm not mad about them either. Oh, which no. just <laughs> <makes> <laughs> <it> <laughs> worse. I wouldn't even just doesn't swap. They <laughs> fuck me off. I see how yeah, you look in those. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> high up the green. Tastes like a mojito. That's <laughs> 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 grim. For for because I think mojito is the one kind of cocktail you can fuck up if you don't make it right. Yeah, it, it can be really really overpowering, or it can be just really safe. Some people put like who the fuck puts water on their cocktail? Like, but a lot of people put water or too much ice, and then it just dilutes it completely, and it just tastes like you're drinking milk water. But yeah, like because traditionally I like to have it with soda water as your topper, but it should be like a splash. Mm. But People use white lemonade instead because yeah. they don't want the water because there is ice that's going to melt. Yeah. Well, ice is the main. Do you know what you need though? You're missing a trick. If ice you don't have enemy. brown sugar, if you don't have oh, brown sugar, then it's you're not a mojito. Exactly. You should have sprinkled some brown sugar on top of that motherfucker there. Would have been party time then. That's there's, what they do in pasta. Does it? They put, um, so they do a creme brulee latte, which is oh. a latte with brown sugar on the top of the foam. Do they not even <laughs> blow, blow tarts the shit out of it? <laughs> Not that nice, no. Like it's, it's Costa. <laughs> <laughs> it's not that right. How, how's that non-alcoholic beer? Oh, non-alcoholic everything is lovely. I, that's why I always get down to Sandino's. It's a wee Dandino special. <laughs> um, I was looking at the percentage on that non-alcoholic Erdinger as well, and it's the strongest non-alcoholic beer I've ever seen. Dan is going to be fucked up. <laughs> it's not 0.5%. They're normally like not 0.01 or not 0.1 or something like that. You know me too well. Not point, not 0.5%. How hard did they make it non-alcoholic though? And not have any alcohol in there? It's not that like, oh. because like all the ingredients is sort of ferment a bit anyway, you know, if they're left like sit or, I don't know. I mean, who cares? I mean, I, uh, who cares? Like, non-alcoholic, I know, that's the main thing. I think mm. if you drink like really old Ribena, you probably get drunk. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh. just homemade wine. I haven't, I haven't proven this. Apparently, <laughs> that's how they actually make Bogfest. Just get stacked for Ribena and leave it for ages. That's it then. Ribena is like the, the top dog of dilute juices. Do you know, oddly enough, I said they, someone that I knew the other day, why they have these conversations that I hadn't had a Ribena in ages. But I always find the strawberry one quite sickening. But the black crumb one is also forgettable. So I don't think I've ever actually liked Ribena. Maybe that's why I haven't <laughs> I drank it. What other one is <laughs> No, there's an apple one too. That is shit. What? No, I've never heard of that. Apple Ribena. Exactly. You've never seen it because nobody fucking cares about it. Why, why did you involve yourself in this conversation? You hate Ribena. <laughs> I've literally just realised that there now. <laughs> Until there now, I was like, you know what? I can't semi like Ribena. No, that's why I don't buy it because it's shit. I love when you take yourself on your own journey. You don't need, no one needs to persuade you. You persuade yourself. 
for but talking about I like, oh. I like how you said as well I was I told somebody that I know that I haven't ever been in a while it's like it'd be weird if you said it to somebody you didn't know like, <laughs> <laughs> the shop. stop somebody in the street I've never been in it <laughs> it's like your chat up line at the bar they're ordering a, a dilute you know. I've not right been on yours. <laughs> When's the last time you had a right been on? <laughs> <laughs> Did you hear that Apple one? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Like, she's all, I know, right? <laughs> Relationship sealed. <laughs> That's a good leader, isn't it? That's exactly. That was my pickup line. <laughs> okay, what have we watched this week, folks? Keep This week I watched um, a film called Hair. It's a, it's a musical. Have any of you ever heard of it? No. I think I might have heard of it, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. <laughs> I've heard of Hairspray, the musical, not Hair, though. It's really, it's not really like Hairspray at all. It's crazy. So it's about this, this guy, it's, I don't know what year it was, a few years ago. <laughs> it was like 79 <laughs> or something, I don't know. <laughs> I don't um, know what year it was, a few years ago. <laughs> but, um, so he's, he's from like somewhere in the countryside, like maybe Oklahoma or something, I don't know. Um, I, love, I love how accurate these descriptions are. <laughs> <laughs> it is 1979. <laughs> Take a drink. That deserves a golf club. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> is he from Oklahoma? Uh, oh, yes. Oh! <laughs> oh, yeah! So, like, I really <laughs> understood this one. It's, it's almost he's seen the film. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's from uh, specifically Oklahoma, and he is going to fight in the Vietnam War. So it says, like, bye, here's 50 pound. See ya. It's <laughs> very non-emotional and he gets on the bus. But he has, like, two days in New York. So he's, like, touristing at around Central Park and comes across these bunch of hippies who seem to be kind of just living in Central Park. And he falls in love with a girl on a horse. And then he spends his last two days, instead of sightseeing, just, like, getting high with these hippies. And there was a part of it that actually... Like a lot of the songs are, it's a bit like Moulin Rouge, where it's like songs that already exist, you know, like pop songs or songs, yeah. rock songs, yeah. and they're just singing them in a different style. Some of them I'd never heard before, so they could have been made up. But there was one that reminded me a lot of a Queens of the Stone Age song, you know, the Feel Good Head of the Summer, yeah. Yeah. where they're basically just rhyming off names of drugs. Well, this one, they're smoking like crack under this bridge <laughs> but it's very much like yeah this is what you should be doing like this is good you know fuck war man yeah. smoke crack under our bridge and then <laughs> so they're all like naming all these drugs and i saw wow it's good. and there's a lot of that was only one one moment of many where i seen like influences that for modern music and modern films and not that that's not modern, but yeah. a lot mm. of, you know, like Rent, the musical, very much. There's a scene where he's dancing on top of like a table at this big, like fancy soiree. And you can tell it heavily influences a scene in Rent. Yeah. I think it did anyway, but I don't know mm. how long Rent's been out. It's actually, it's, it's crazy because I've I've never heard this film. But I mean, like musicals, one of the few genres that I don't have a massive interest in. But it just, it seems like it's really peculiar. So it seems like it would stand out. And yeah. like I've never even, have you ever heard anything about it? Well, when you said hair, it sounded familiar to me, but then I was thinking, I think I was actually thinking of that Robert Downey Jr. film, mm. Hair. That's called Hair as well. Isn't, isn't that it? Perfume? No, that's the Dustin Hoffman one. Ah, uh, yeah, mm. that's right. Is Hair, uh, someone's kind of standard, is it John Waters by any chance? 
No, that's hairspray. <laughs> that's hairspray. That, I, yeah, that's hairspray, right? He's the, he's the original hairspray, right? I ran out of knowledge about the film right at that second. I thought, uh, <laughs> oh, oh, picked too early. Could be. The, the director is Milo's Foreman. Oh, Milo's for fucking hell. He's just like or a Milo's really, Foreman. Yeah, he's a really like, kind of established director, too. It was, it was it's, very good. It's Beverly D'Angelo, John Savage, Treat Williams. <laughs> what a name. He does treat. Mickey, that was savage. Hold on. <laughs> but anyway, Kiva, what what do you think? It then I mean, it was a good, was a bad. I thought it was it was very odd. Yeah. Um, but really good because me, I do watch a lot of musicals, and I th- I don't know. I thought it was good. It was a wee bit. Because I wish I had watched it years ago, basically, yeah. before I seen a lot of the things that it had, obviously, well, I think that it had directly influenced, because then I'm thinking about those things. It seems like, because of how strange the narrative sounds, that you going on date just expecting a standard musical must have been kind of overwhelming, or yeah. kind of like it, it took you by a complete surprise. And there was a, th- 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 it's, there's a high, like, basic war, war is like really important in it. Yeah. There's no, doesn't show you any war. Yeah, um, the sort of looming him, threat of war. They're basically trying to talk him out of going to Vietnam, yeah. and uh, he doesn't really seem like he wants to go. But there's there's a kind of interesting there there's an interesting twist at the end, um, where his friends are well, they become like almost like his family in like three days. Yeah, uh, they seem to care tons more about him than his dad had putting him on the bus. That was basically all. Bye, you're gonna die. Yeah, Sever That's the man thing to do. And they kind of make a lot of sacrifices for him, but. For them, it's not sacrifices. It's their kind of happy dippy. They're like in an eight ra- eight way relationship, and they want him yeah. to be number nine. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't go to Vietnam. <laughs> you always need number nine on there. Like. You could be the third tricycle. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but I very I very much enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. I'm glad I watched it. Out of ten, I definitely give it eight. Oh, I thought it was really good. It's but very strange, but, but very d- is is there a kind of like overall message yet that kind of war is bad kind of things? Just smoke some crack. Coast, that <laughs> I mean, Mickey. I don't, I don't. Are oh, you no, going to you... watch it? Like, I don't. Are you going to watch it? Can I tell you I what happened? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to Spoilers, though. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Right, Her so. Hair, the 1979 musical. Yes. <laughs> I know he's all dying to watch it, so this is switch off now or t- clover your clover cover your ears. <laughs> Earmuffs. Um, so. He's getting shipped out the following day or in a couple of days and they find out via a letter. So they drive like 2,000 miles to Nevada to see him. But he's very, like, he's like, no, I can't leave. They're going to do head counts. Like, I can't, you know, it's not a joke because he thinks as much as he admires their way of life, he thinks it's a bit of a joke. Yeah. You know? And maybe he wants to, he kind of wants to have that life, but he's not, he's like, at the same time, he, he can't let go. Fulfilling there. Yeah. Um, so the guy who's kind of the whole way through the film, the kind of the head happy leader guy who's really does loads for him actually. Chairman of the hubbies. He, he's disguised himself as like a military leader to get on to the site and he's all, jump in the boot now and I'll get you out and I'll bring you back. And he's all, no I can't. So he, swa- he swaps clothes with him and cuts off his hair and takes his place, you know, for the head count for a day so we can go and see the other ones who are like out in the forest yeah. when they say bye. And then... During the switchover, his unit gets shipped out, so the other guy goes to war in his place. And instead oh. of being all, instead of being like, it's not me, it's not, you know, because he wouldn't do that. He's not that kind of guy. He just 
goes. He yeah. makes the ultimate sacrifice for him. Yeah. Like and he possibly be killed. Like. So whatever uh, message you kind of get from that. So th- it's kind of got some mixed messages. Somebody's phone mm. going off. Whose is it? Is it your own? No. It's not mine. It's not mine. Mine's downstairs. Might have been my me- messengers. Just <laughs> 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 those belated birthday wishes. God, God damn it. <laughs> turned it off. Um, no, that's that sounds really cool. It kind of it just makes me sad though that ending. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit of a downer end considering how happy dubby trippy you were saying it was there. It, yeah, no, definitely. It's but that's why it's that. Well, sound of music. I never seen the end of it. My granny never let me watch it. The part where they get chased by Nazis and it's really scary. I thought it just ended when they were all goodbye. goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think that must have been my deal as well because I mind just thinking sound of music, all sound of music, like all singing yeah. and whatnot. But then. I just like was walking past the TV one day when it was going on. It's like, why are there Nazis? In this? <laughs> <laughs> I was indoctrinated by my granny against the Nazis. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> it's like it was some weird sequel you never heard of, <laughs> like the sound of national socialism. Or something. <laughs> uh, this week I watched. Oh, hang on, hang on. Oh, that Robert Downey Jr. film was called Fur. Oh, close. And That's then a, there's a whole subtitle thing, like an imaginary portrait of somebody. Well, there you go. Just in case you were on the edge of your seat wondering what, what the... All Apple's definitely being cut out anyway, so I don't know why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this week I watched Bone Tomahawk, which I personally think is the coolest film title I've ever heard in my life. You're not saying it right, though. It's Bone... Well, how do you say it, Michael? Bone Tomahawk. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk. Look at you in bluegrass instead of like western. Mm. <laughs> I know it works. I was, anyway. <laughs> I was there in a moment. Well, yeah. But it's, don't try and silence me, man. It's just been released. It's uh, directed by S. Craig Zeller. I think I've got that name right, but no, my form I probably haven't. It's his directional uh, debut. Until now, he's been an author of sort of uh, westerns and, and, and crime thrillers. So he's got obviously good form uh, in, in regards to these sort of genres. He wrote it as well, obviously. But the thing that, well, there was, it was just one of those films that everything drew me in about it. Main star, Kurt Russell. I fucking love Kurt Russell. Snake Plissken, like. Uh, and then the, the secondary cast, the sporting cast, Richard Jenkins, who I love. Patrick Wilson, who I fucking absolutely love. Also, it was a revisionist western, which is a deconstruction. I'll not bring that up. But that obviously, <laughs> that obviously interested me. But it was more the fact that it was a mashup of western and horror film. And I think that's two genres. I think that's two genres that really aren't, put together enough because the west was a kind of fucking scary place so then if you actually introduce proper horror elements i think you, you've got a, you know some serious potential there essentially the plot is uh, there's a small frontier town called bright hope uh you know Kirk, they're fucked with that name i know <laughs> <laughs> you know it's almost like they're they're, in, they're, in fighting, they're inviting bad stuff on them like aren't they but kurt russell obviously is the sheriff of that town naturally like uh that is is bone tomahawk his name no no it's like John or something. <laughs> I can't remember his name is John John Hunter or something like that. I can't even remember. Disappointing. <laughs> I thought that was his name. No, not if that was his name, he'd be the fucking coolest. Well, he's the coolest man alive anyway. Like, but he uh, played Snake Plissken and Bone Tomahawk. Bone Tomahawk. <laughs> the reason it's called Bone Tomahawk is the whole plot is about these savage sort of cavemen like Indians who they kind of present them as being like Neolithic, and they're cannibals. And they hunt this town of Bright Hope and capture people and bring them up to the caves and fucking eat them. And then essentially when one of the townspeople's wives, the, the, the local doctor, is kidnapped, four men, Richard Jenkins, Patrick Wilson, uh, Matthew Fox from Lost and uh, 
Kurt Russell set out to try and you know save them or whatever. What's weird the the one thing I I didn't like about it is that I wanted more horror. The horror only comes at the end, and when the horror comes to the end, it, it's fucking ridiculous. The, these Indians in this film are ridiculously scary. They are presented like boogeymen. They're not presented like humans. Just how they move and the fact that they've got all this kind of neon, not neon blue, but this kind of deep blue sort of body paint and stuff like that on. They've got all these kind of bone masks and shit, and they've got these small bones embedded under their throat. So when they scream, it makes this screeching sound. That's how they communicate. Like sort of, you know, dolphins, these high-pitched screeches. So all that stuff is so well done. They are horrifying. I don't think you see enough of them until the end like but I suppose it's the suspense of seeing them yeah. that kind of draws you in what's really intriguing that's something that I wasn't expecting is it's the build up to them getting to the cave you would usually expect it just to be some sort of vendetta right them and their horses you know fucking did along trying to get this cave but they actually mix it with this kind of comedy and because it's a revisionist western it's sort of like Slow West and McCabe and Mrs. Muller that I talked about recently it kind of gives this realistic look of men riding on horses trying to save people. In any other film, you would see them ride on their horses for about two minutes and they'd be there and a yeah. battle would happen. But it's this whole journey of them getting there and you kind of see their characters unravel. One of them, Richard Jenkins, plays this really uh, doting fella. He's like an old doctor called Chicory and he's seen as the comedy character. But it's like a deconstruction of the old doting cowboy who doesn't really know anything. <laughs> exactly. Where's the sesperilla? <laughs> but uh, then Matthew Fox plays this sort of bastardization of Ethan Edwards from The Searchers he's like a, a, an absolute racist towards Indians and he actually brags about the f- he's pretty silent through it he's seen as like the, the town gentleman who's a gunslinger but he brags about the amount of Indians he's killed I think spoiler alert just before he dies uh, he says that I think he's killed like 127 Indians or something like that in his lifetime and he's only like fucking 35 or something <laughs> you know what I mean how's he fitting it in but, <laughs> but uh, well, like I haven't even killed one. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's only like four years. Like, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's we killed sixteen, but he was four. <laughs> hey, it's him saying it. Like. No, well, in all fairness, he says he started when he was ten. So do the math now. Um, well, so judging that he's twenty-five, or judging he's thirty-five, is twenty-five years. Say about one hundred and thirty uh, Indians. Uh, so well, like five, five and a half a year. <laughs> year. Still pretty good form, considering he started when he was ten. Like, Mm. <laughs> now, if if you start when you're ten, you should be like killing an Indian like at least once a month. Yeah, <laughs> maybe on your first two years, aye, about like, five and a half. Aye, aye. Sure, nice. It's like your A levels, but in killing Indians, you know, <laughs> when you have to pass them all. Like. But uh, aye, so the film right. See when it gets to the caves. <laughs> or sorry, you can't pass anything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, when they get to the caves. It is horrifying. What happens is Kurt Russell's character and uh, Richard Jenkins' character are kidnapped. They're put in a cell. I've raised the spoiler alert. Uh, Matthew Fox's character, he's killed before they even get to the caves by the Indians, but then they kind of retreat. But it's when you see how they dismember and actually eat people, it's actually one of the scariest, most unsettling things I've ever seen because it seems so real. They seem kind of supernatural, but it's almost like a, a normalised supernaturalism, if you know what I mean they kind of allude to the fact that they might have someone else going on, maybe some sort of Indian magical powers or something like that, but they're very much rooted. They're just these fucking psychopath cavemen who are fucking chopping people in two and eating them. It, but it's how they kill one of the guys. I'll describe it, but I, I, I don't want to kind of completely spoil everything. They cut off his scalp and then stab the scalp and his mouth. Then two of the Indians flip him upside down, completely naked, and cut him in two from the balls to the head. And you see all this, like, unedited one shot. Well, obviously, there's special effects on there. They didn't actually murder this man, like, in a horrific <laughs> way. But it made my stomach fucking turn. I'll not spoil how it actually ends, but really I, cracking film. I reckon you could get away with that, though, like, actually murdering someone in a film. <laughs> it's the way the sign, world's going, man. No, sign the waiver. No, because nobody would question it. 
You would just say, oh, I had special effects. <laughs> Nobody would question it. Well, it was Cannibal Holocaust, wasn't it, where they were pulled up in court and they had to actually show the actors that were killed in this film to show the judge, look, he's alive, he's not dead. I, I oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually, you know what? Some of the gruesome scenes, it's actually a pretty good comparison, some of the gruesome scenes on Bone Tomahawk reminded me of that sort of really visceral, gut-wrenchingly realistic uh, violence that's on sort of exploitation yeah. films like Cannibal Holocaust or even like uh, Spot in Your Grave or whatever. But it's a cracking film. I wish there was more horror on it, but then at the same time, I'm kind of happy that there wasn't <coughs> because it gave it this new layer and this new element that I wasn't really expecting. Cracking performances, you can probably tell it from the cast. Uh, beautifully shot and just really good dialogue. How they splice humour on there in what is essentially a very very grim narrative is class it's just really well balanced and, and, and really well judged and uh, I definitely fucking I would, I would recommend you give it a watch so Shan big question boom hit me with is this film racist is it racist the, by the way they're presenting the Indians as being these cannibals this, this is what I thought as well weirdos. this is what I thought but that's how they kind of semi-justify because I thought right is this kind of going back to the old tropes of the John Four Westons and just this rampant racism towards Indians and you know treating them like umbreds and subhumans and stuff like that the way they kind of get around it is that they have an Indian character in the town of Bright Hope called the Professor and he's really like <laughs> no nah, no he's, he's called the Professor like but he's the professors that got you <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I gotta tell that professor. <laughs> but he's this really well educated Native American and stuff. He got really well respected in the community. And he, I think it was their kind of get out of jail free card, having it, because he's only on one scene. Oh, we, we've got one of them. I, right. we go, I, I know a Native American, I'm not racist. But uh, he, basically, he basically says that these guys are. They're so un-Native American in their rituals and customs yeah, that yeah. even the Native Americans don't consider them Native Americans. They're like they're, they're referred to as troglodytes in the film. They're not seen as... Troglodytes? Troglodytes. Uh, I've mm. never actually heard that word until I've seen the film. Then I looked it up and it's just... No, like a, I, it is a thing of things. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, a thing of things. Oh, I get it now. Damn. The way they kind of justify it is that, obviously, not only are they not using these characters to represent the Native American culture, but they're saying that they're so bad, they're more akin to cavemen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, what do you call them? What do you call cavemen? The other word, the, the fancy word, the Latin word for cavemen? Homo sapien? Oh, no, not homo sapien. <laughs> What's the other word? Ah, fuck it, it doesn't matter. I'm not smart. Neanderthal. Neanderthal, that's it. They present well, them more, I went the other way. The word, the weirdest thing is, I said it about two minutes ago. <laughs> but they present, them, they present them more like Neanderthals as opposed to like Native Americans. They're, they're shown as like regressed. So, in a way. is it racist towards Neanderthals? <laughs> <laughs> well, all enough, we don't have any for comments, so... Did they not have one in the town? I do. It would have been good if they had a Neanderthal in the town. He's the own professor. He's the professor's wee helper. I kind of thought that's the way it would have went, the way you're talking about it, because if it was in like any way racist, I'm sure you would have called oh, it. Oh, yeah, I just want to be super racist. Up. No, but I mean, I think that's... Aye, they're just this kind of sect of group that they've just... Like, the, the fact they even allude to a kind of supernatural element that that's kind of yeah. made them into that kind of I, weird... I think they were... men or whatever. They were kind of skating on thin ice with. And I think that through that one we seen alone, they sort of got around a little way and justified it, I suppose. But uh, all right, it's, it's got a stack of good elements, so... Definitely. as well with the death of like Matthew Fox's character who is a racist it's probably done the sort of like way to show that yeah. his way is the wrong way yeah and I I don't think it's any coincidence either that he dies first you know like the kind of four of them and I know it's a set of spoiler earlier on but I, I think as well that's kind of wrote down there and to all enough and all whether it's not racist is when he's actually bringing up the fact 
that he's killed all these Indians and you know Indians are fucking like subhuman or they're they're not real people or stuff like that. The other three call him out on it, which at the same time is maybe trying to call him a little bit because if it was actually a representation of the time period, the more likely all three would not call him out on it. But at, at the yeah. same time, it's trying to kind of make it a wee bit more PG, I would say, and try and be a wee bit more sensitive. I <clears throat> so it just kind of shows racism never pays off then. Exactly, Mickey. I hope you never thought it does. <laughs> Unless well, you like this... racially attack people and rob them. <laughs> <laughs> it pays off then. Or like if you sell hoods like a KKK rally, it would pay off then. Because you get the money. Get the money. Like, I mean, you don't believe in it, but it would definitely pay off. Yeah, it's like... Oh, what is it? In Parks and Recreation, when Ron Swanson sells people the end of the world flutes, <laughs> he, he, he doesn't believe in it, but he just sells them the flutes because yeah. he's, he's yeah. getting money. Yeah. No, the, no, there's there's this joke that I made when from when I was younger. It's either a Frank Skinner joke or a David Bedini joke because it was like on their show, the on plan. But uh, no, it was Linford Christie goes in the this like golf club. They sign up to be a member. And they're all like, oh, sorry, like we don't accept black people at this golf club. And he's like, wait, home, but I'm Linford Christie. And he's like, well, sorry, sorry, we, 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 we don't accept black people. There's, there's a club about ten minutes down the road that you can sign up there. He's all, but I'm Linford fucking Christie. He's all right. Then five minutes down the road. (laughs) 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 But but what Frank Skinner said about that joke is the racist wins the joke. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a good joke. It's not a good joke. All the fellows who don't know as well, that Lumford Christie was very famous, 1990s sprinter. <laughs> Just in case someone's not, not involved. Was <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. They kind of got nailed on that part. And he was like really fast. Yeah, really, really, really fast. fast. That's the other element of that joke. We've now just like, deconstructed it. <laughs> Completely ripped the fun out of that joke altogether. But it's ha, a bad joke. Ha, ha. So we should have. Ha ha, racist. <laughs> Daniel Kill. Uh, I might break the rules here. Actually, <gasps> uh, yeah. I didn't get to watch at home because I was so busy, but what I did watch was episode 9 of season 2 of Fargo. Which is basically like a film on its own, right? Aye, uh, and there's a film called Fargo, and it sort of alludes to this. What? Let, let me <laughs> off it, please. Uh, um, okay, you can talk about it as long as you don't give anything away, because I haven't watched it. Oh, <laughs> shit, well, you're going to have a tough task here, though. No, 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 we'll talk about the episode. I'll try and just, talk just, about just, the just, just, uh, just talk about the, the show as a whole. Aye. Uh, well, we'll even bring up the first season, because I really enjoyed the first season. I think it did a while lot very well. I thought Martin Freeman was excellent in it. He was great. And yeah, Billy Bob. Uh, Billy Bob was amazing. Lauren Malvo was a class character. Even, so. like, all the... I mean, I did think this is the first season failed a bit, that it had all these subplots that seemed to just intend the show the Lauren Malvo characters being really, really cool. Mm-hmm. And that's all well and good, but then they just didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And the, a, a, yeah. a couple of them just sort of just petered out for me. Like, and it was weak writing. The guy who owned the supermarket? Yeah. That and really like, goes you know, nowhere. Yeah, no spoilers. I think it's sort of like a sort of uh, illusion as well. The, uh, Magnolia, the Paul Thomas Anderson film, which yeah. I think that this season does as well. It references more than just the Coens. Uh, yeah, there was a bit as well with Key and Peele that I thought fell flat. I think the whole ending. The two FBI me, investigators? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, and they're they're good in it, but it's just they don't seem to really go anywhere, have like a big payoff. They don't really affect the plot whatsoever, either. Like I noticed in the first series. Yeah, and like you know, they do see like all these like sort of witty lines, whatever. But it seems to be more style over substance, like Bike you know, time. yeah. Which I think the second season actually nails a lot better. It's, it's more like oh, here's Key and Peel as well. You know, what yeah. I mean, like as a wee addition, like a wee bonus, but they yeah. don't really do anything. And they have the like you know the Mister Numbers and Wrench characters as well, which you know I think are they're very very good. But then also as well the way they end, I'm just I'm not too keen on. I like that. I mean, I think the the shootout in the snow or the knife out you would say with Malville yeah yeah because <laughs> that's essentially what it is the knife out day. Uh, I thought I, I actually thought that was one of the best sequences of TV last year yeah. I thought that was so well done like yeah no I thought I thought it was good but then you know obviously what well, one of them dies but then the other one like Malville sort of comes in and helps him out and then like that's it over and you want to see him come back or you want to like some of this to sort of come around and get him again and that's not really the way it plays out and as I say it just seems to me that they had all these great ideas to make Malville seem really cool and then it just ended yeah, you know, like all, all the subplots ended, and the way that they sort of had the payoff at the very end, I don't know, I didn't really like it as much. I think it's uh, what I did like about it was that they present the Malvo, or they went out of their way to present Malvo as being this really cool, kind of infallible character, and he's always getting one up on everybody. But then how he dies is so kind of pathetic. It's almost like he got too arrogant, and he like really underestimated these people who he was just taking the pissed for his whole life uh, you know what I mean well I know to me it's sort of like that rings true with uh, No Country for Old Men because the entire like Anton Chigurh sequence where like he has to go back and you know fulfil this sort of promise that he made uh, for Llewellyn's wife uh, Kelly MacDonald and then eventually you know that sort of car crash that like fate that he can't control hits him out of nowhere yeah. and you know it seems that then like you know with the injury that he sustained in that and he's, he's scrambling to get away I mean he died in a couple of days and he is a wanted man mm. do you mean in that area so I don't know I mean Obviously, it's left a bit open ended, but I sort of thought the same about Marvel, where he is like this sort of like force of nature, or he's implied to be yeah. something like that. But then it doesn't really go that it, way. It does doesn't it? go as far. I I think as well. We well the comparison with Sugar or Sugar from New Country and then Marvel is is pretty good, and I think it was kind of what they were going for because Sugar he's got this sort of strange creed, like like you were saying about mm. kill when he goes back to kill Leon's wife no necessity anything he's putting himself in danger go back to the hotspot where he's looking for or where he's being looked for but just because he's got this this mindset that what has to be done has to be done because he's made a promise to do so he goes with it anyway yeah. and then obviously it gets him in serious bar because he has the car crash and his, I think it's his arm is snapping it, like it, too I, it completely comes out it's of like his a fucking, actual army's bone comes out so it's yeah. like a compound fracture or something like that yeah I mean it's Dr. It Sean Carter <laughs> 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 that looks like a compound fracture MD like, I've been in hospitals enough recently you know, <laughs> but uh uh, no, you're exactly right. And then even moving on to the second series, how much of the second series have you seen, Mickey? No, none of it whatsoever. Okay, fair enough. Right, we'll probably not. Be I haven't even seen the first season. I've just seen the film. Well, sorry, we've just spoiled the first season for you as well. <laughs> no, it honestly, it's fine. It's just made me a wee bit more excited about it. Uh, no, you can know. you can talk about it because I probably won't know what the fuck you're all about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. even like, I, I think, and I, it's massively massively commendable, for, especially for an anthology series. If you compare the other big anthology series that everybody was waiting for the second series of this year, True Detective, and how much that flatlined. I mean, the second series of True Detective was pretty poor concerning the first series was, you know, such high quality. First series of Fargo was high quality, and you're thinking, Jesus, can they repeat that again? You know, new cast of characters, new storyline, new time period even, and I think the second series is fucking, like, I wouldn't say ten times better, but so much better than the first series. They've oh, done such a good yeah. job with it, like, an unbelievably good job. The cash just works. There's none of that kind of that fat that that those those spare like plot lines that you were talking about. The first series, everything's there for a reason, and it's a lot tighter. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many like great turns. I may just have it done here. I mean, Patrick Wilson, who you've also mentioned, and uh, you're following, but uh, Kirsten Dunst and mm. Jesse Plemons. Like, I think Dunst is great as well. I mean, Man Holly, I really enjoyed her, but especially on this, her character is fantastic. Uh, just as well, I mean, the use of setting is great. All the different like uh, stylistic uses as well that allude to the Coen Brothers' works, or even thematically. I mean, I've wrote down here that yeah, uh, Muller's Crossing, obviously Fargo's referenced quite heavily as well. Yeah, it's one of those ones where if you really do like those kinds of movies, you'll see a lot to love in here. And I think it's handled a lot better while it's like illusions that actually work in terms of the plot and uh, drive it forward. While I think maybe the first one was maybe a bit... Uh, a wee bit heavy-handed. Yeah, definitely. Because I think like in the second episode of the first series, there's just a blatant sign for White Russians and stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's like ah, it's a nice wee thing. It's a nice wee Easter egg for people who know about the Coen Brothers films and well, stuff. Well, in the first series as well, they do the whole, he finds the buried... Yeah, and, all and that's like. a complete recreation of the Fargo following, yeah. like, you know what I mean? But I think you're talking as well about Kirsten Dunst, that's a really interesting one because Kirsten Dunst got all that shit earlier on in her career for being like a kind of limited actress, you know, through Spider-Man and stuff like that. And they were saying, oh, is she that good or is she just kind of a child actor that, you know, made the transition? But I think after Melancholica, she's, or Melancholica, sorry, she's been fucking knocking around the park, like, you know what I mean? She's mm. showing now that she's a very, very talented actress. Jesse Plemons too, I think, it's awfully say because it kind of shows the the sort of cynical nature of Hollywood and you kind of have to be good looking to get big roles but I think if Je- Jesse Plemons was more kind of you would say classically good looking he would be getting far bigger roles but he's always kind of going to be the cookie supporting character who's yeah. Jesse Plemons he's uh, what do you call him from Breaking Bad Todd. Todd from Breaking Bad he's in Friday Night Lights oh shit yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I'm on about the master as well actually that's right she says she's the master but another thing you were talking about Patrick Wilson just as a wee connection back to Bone Tomahawk the professor in Bone Tomahawk finally said it the right way oh he plays Hansy aye it's the same guy I don't know his name but he's class his name I only found out today is Zan McLarnon he's half Native American half Irish oh really hey there obviously we dirty man like Donna Runner but uh, (laughs) 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 classic Irish (laughs) (laughs) classic Irish exactly they don't I get away with a really awful racist joke because I'm Irish too. So it's all right. <laughs> 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 yeah. Probably had a pig under his arm and eating fucking bacon and cabbage or something like that. Irish bastard. <laughs> uh, Where'd that come from? <laughs> oh, we're being we're being self racist. Oh, we're we're self hitting as Irish people. I heard a weird thing today. Uh, the the nominations came out for like the Golden Globes. Oh, it might have been the Golden Globes. There was some other one as well, but uh, Saoirse Ronan. Is nominated for Brooklyn Best Actress, yeah, yeah, and once we're talking about it on on the radio, and like Gary was saying, like she really enjoyed Brooklyn, and she she thinks Saoirse Ronan will win, and all's here, and the two LR presenters is all, I but were you not really fucked off with her fake Irish accent? She's fucking Irish. <laughs> I know. This is what this is what the LR presenter says. Like she's she's Irish. How can you do a fake Irish accent if you're Irish? <laughs> and they were all because she's not talking in her accent. She's all. She's overdoing it, like, oh, jeez, what's that crack with you? And if you ever hear Saoirse uh, Ronan talking, she actually she just, actually she does. has that mm. really thick accent. She has accent, a really like, stereotypical Irish accent, and has that kind of, ah, to be sure, to be sure, that sort of accent. Like, that's like, you know the way I mean? she talks, and I just thought it was fucking ridiculous that people are fucking, well, oh, that fake. Hey, but it's so fucking stupid. And see, it's already going to one, but this... <laughs> Go for it. This, I'm with you, I'm this, with you, man. No, but this is the thing that fucks me off just generally on, like, radio shows and TV shows when they bring up, like, stuff about, like, when award season come, comes up and they have people commenting, like, on these films or on these nominations that don't have a fucking clue. Yeah. <laughs> and 
it's like I mind one time seeing on Lorraine they were go- they were going through. I think the Oscar nominations like uh, when Gravity was out. Can I just back? We all know though that obviously Lorraine is the seminal voice in film criticism. Well, Lorraine herself <laughs> is. I'm not slagging <laughs> off Lorraine. She's 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 class. She's like, up she, our way, Ebert and Commode. She, she and... fucking knows the crack. Like, but this fucking dickhead she had on, right? <laughs> <laughs> they, they were going through the nominations all year, and it was when Gravity was out, and uh, Sandra Bullock was nominated for Best Actress, yeah. and that. And uh, the boy just goes, I like Sandra Bullock's nominated for for Best Actress. Like, can, can you believe it? Air like after her doing like all them rom coms and all this here, and then Lorraine points out, it's like. She won Best Actress like a few uh, years ago. She won like fucking three or four years ago. Aye, for fucking Blindside. Blind sure, that's like that's saying like, like everybody's on the fucking absolute love buzz of the McConaughey. You could easily say it about McConaughey. He done fucking rom coms for like eight or nine years. I know, but it's just they they just get these people on because they're standing nearby. Yeah. Just oh, just talk, fucks just off. fucking talking head syndrome. There's a familiar face. Let's get their opinion on something they don't have a fucking clue about. You know what? When I hit as well, every single time Day Lewis is nominated for an Oscar, which you know it's it's every like couple of years. I already had quite a lot recently. You'll always have these puff pieces and all going on about like, oh, but he really gets into the character and whatever. And is this too much and all? And then people turn and say, oh, he's so pretentious. And I was like, these people, as you say, don't know anything about Fulham, and they talk about like just a wee. Oh, those sort of bits like you know you hear like all those uh, awful things about like uh, not the stories you hear all the time about him. Oh, he wore the clothes all the time, or he yeah. could like you know hunt his own food when he was doing or like he, uh, he didn't take like medication that wasn't available at the time. Yeah. He got really sick. I, and everybody called call Mr. President. Yeah, all oh, this yeah. is so over the top. He does that ever? Just in real life. But I mean, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. but like this is you know he's the best actor alive. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you know who's this fucking dickhead sitting yeah. there slagging him off, and he's like obviously got his process like, that works. Yeah, why are you judging someone's methods that are clearly he's clearly into what he's doing and he's yeah. getting good results yeah. like what's your works fucking like problem like? he's eat a dick one well, night he's <laughs> one of the best fucking most best actor Oscars ever you know what really fucks me off right <laughs> now it really fucks me off is see these sort of shows okay where it comes around the Oscar season it's like fashion shows or you know certain women's talk shows which I won't fucking name but they only focus on the Oscars because of the fashion. But the then entertainment. Because, but then, be, aye, the actual, the red carpet fucking treatment, not. But then because it's the Oscars, they almost have to let on like they actually give a fuck about the actual awards <laughs> and the films and shit like that. So they start and try to talk about the films and it is the most, and every, you can see people like all nodding and shit like that. You don't have a fucking clue what you're talking about. You're talking about fucking Jennifer Lawrence's bastard and dress or what shoes she wore. Fuck off. Yeah, you know what I mean? I don't see the necessity for them to need to talk about the movies like they're obviously shows that are based around fashion and a lot of these actors do wear big name designers just talk about what they're wearing and what your show's about don't pretend to give a fuck afterwards just be all oh she was on so and so film i heard it was good i don't know just to bring it back to fargo for a second did she have you heard about that film it's about like a japanese woman that's seen fargo but she thought it no way it says it's based on a true story mm. I've heard the story but I've not heard about the film based on it uh, there's a fu- there's, they, uh, they made a film about it that because it says on, it's based on a true story she thinks the money buried is out there somewhere mm. so then she she keeps watching the film over and over again and all is here and then she actually goes to America to try and find the money I know I heard that but it sounds very, very interesting no, this, this I know there's a whole film about it now but is, 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 is a natural story that happened or is it just like a legend apparently so it's it's a muff but at the same time I don't know I, I don't want to kind of speak out of turn because I'm not quite sure if, if some poor soul died because of that because it does say it's a true story like. yeah. no, <laughs> no you're on about it's Fargo true story like no 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 I'm on about, I'm on about the, the Japanese woman the, the yeah. woman that thought it was true and then ended up going out in the snow and dying I, it, it sounds a wee bit too out there for me to be true but then at the same time you never know you know, reality is fucking strange on fiction sometimes you know what I mean Yeah. so 
I hope it's not true because I hope that some poor woman doesn't die in the snow looking for treasure that was never there. But then at the same time, it's an interesting story. It is an interesting story uh, for a film. Who's doing it? I don't know. I literally just seen a trailer like a few months ago. I think it'd be interesting to watch you. Might be fucking slightly grim too, right enough. Yeah. I mean, I think if they were to do it, they would kind of have to take it from the angle of. It's one of them foreign films as well. Oh, it's one of them foreign ones. I, I, I don't watch that shit. That's right. <laughs> no, but remember the time you watched a foreign film, Mickey? You liked it? Aye. <laughs> you never was, went back. That was the one. <laughs> <laughs> um. This week I watched Lost River. Mm-hmm. As is, it, is that what it's called? Yeah, that's called Lost River. Because I've been, I've been thinking all day. I keep on getting it wrong. Like I was thinking Lost City earlier. No, it's so. Lost River. Very forgettable title. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's uh, a right. F- that's the first criticism. <laughs> 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 Terrible title. No, it was called someone else before. I don't know. I can't uh, mind. No, don't mind. Uh, yeah, it's Ryan Gosling's writing and directorial debut. And uh, it stars Christina Hendricks as Billy, a mother with two kids, and I can't remember what you call the actor that plays her kid. I, I, he's like the most unknown. Like yeah, he's he's, 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 very, he's very good though. He's the guy from He's an Agents of Shield. He's not like the hunky one. He's like the nerdy funny one. If anybody watches Agents of Shield, um, Sarah Sharonan plays their next door neighbor called Rat. Rat, because she has a pet rat. That doesn't end well. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give spoilers. Aww. Um, I know uh, Christina Hendricks' son as well is called Bones, so everybody has kind of weird names, except the one called Dave on there. Hey, is that, is that Ben <laughs> Mendelsohn? <laughs> you have a bank manager played by Ben Mendelsohn called Dave, who owns a torture porn strip tease place. We <laughs> said, we said a few weeks ago. I think that the best Norton is Smarmy Norton, and last week we said the best Bacon is Creepy Bacon. The best Mendelsohn is horrifying Mendelsohn. That <laughs> does actually. You know what? He does. Creepy and smarmy together. Yeah. They make it horrifying. <laughs> and he is horrifying in that film. But anyway, continue. And finally, you have Matt Smith as Bully, who's a kind of wannabe gangster, kind of crime lord kind of guy. He is one minion, but he's basically taking ownership of this entire kind of deserted town, basically. His one minion is called Jaws. The reason he's called Jaws is because Matt Smith's character, Bully, cuts his lips off with a pair of scissors. Yeah. <laughs> Huh? It's actually really weird when you see him afterwards. Then, like, it's he looks really like a like gruesome. a like a made up zombie or something. Yeah, he looks weird. like someone of Gremlins or something <laughs> out there. I don't, I don't quite understand it. He's gonna get like really bad tooth decay. And, like, but he's constantly it. smiling. <laughs> <laughs> he's always happy. Worth it. What, what did you say his name was? It's Jaws. No, it's Face. Face. Sorry, Face. You're right. That is Face. Jaws. That's right. That's not James Bond film though. Job. Daniel Craig not on there? <laughs> Lost Spectre, no? Lost <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I think the the film, I think it's a, it's a really interesting world that he builds up and it was shot in Detroit, I think. And just, it, it's just, it's really good at just kind of showing the area and yeah. these kind of dilapidated houses and essentially just like a d- deserted town. It's never really explained why there's su- such a lack of people in this town. But it actually, it actually really reminded me of the game, The Last of Us, because, uh, and and that like everything's like broken down as well. But, uh, nature's kind of reclaiming the land, and everything's overgrown, and there's leaves and grass everywhere and all. And fair enough, in The Last of Us, it's because it's a virus zombie apocalypse thing, <laughs> and this is like a economic downturn or something. But it, I, I am legend can has that too. Yeah, where nature is starting to take over again. I see that. That's that's what I really liked about it. Is like it is kind of nature reclaiming the land I, back. I, and I think that's the strongest thing. 
and it's modern it's, day Jumanji. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the horror film does that very well. Only that doesn't quite have the subtext. <laughs> it's just about a boy going mad, going back in the future. Because they even actually have, like, because it's called, because the town's called Lost River, because there's an actual city that was buried by an uh, artificial reservoir that they made. I think this is where it starts to get away from Gosling a wee bit. I, I 100% agree that the strongest suit of the film is the sort of this newfound ecosystem like nature's claiming back society again because yeah. Detroit's so run down it tries to introduce these fantasy elements and that's really interesting but yeah. I'll, I'll let you go on about it sorry go ahead. well no like that's what I was going to bring up next like like what I heard about the film before I actually seen it is that it's, it was described as a fairy tale mm. and he's he's kind of trying to present this kind of realistic world but then just with a kind of fairy tale air around everything so like they say like Saoirse Ronan is the one that's talks about the lost city first and she says oh there's a curse in the lost city and it'll only be broken when you defeat the monster or something like that and so everything is a bit kind of whimsical right of this kind of fantasy but i think you're right that none of that really comes off yeah it's just kind of there i mean like you definitely respect it and i think that gosling got i mean like there was almost universal negative reviews of lost river when it came out i mean it was like it was it was first screened at cairns and it was some people cl- applauded it, but it was mostly, it was actually, like, booed out of the fucking cinema. Uh, I think, though, it's kind of one of those knee-jerk reactions as well. I think if any other director who was completely unknown presented that film, then they would have been kind of given a pat on the back and says, you know what, you've got a lot of good ideas in there. Because it's Ryan Gosling, Hollywood superstar, he gets judged on a different sort of spectrum, and they, they, they were overly negative. You know what I mean? I, I think it was really unfair. That's Because I, I only watched it last night. I, yeah. It's not as bad as what people make out. You know what I mean? I, I, well, I from what I expected, I didn't think it was as bad as what. It's definitely flawed. There's yeah. definitely a lot of faults on there. Like, you, like you say, the whole fantasy thing. He tries to do it. It doesn't come off him. It's commendable. I do think that Gosling, from what he's shown there, and maybe if he just has a wee guide in hand and his writing, I think that he can have a really solid directorial career as well. Well, there, uh, before I bring up my biggest thing with, do you know how there's just a few bits out there as well where it's like. Uh, he just kind of took a few tips off Nicholas Winder reference. No, this this was going to say this is the thing that kind of gripe me. It's so self indulgent, but he's so blatantly not only trying to reference the the, the obvious ones Nicholas Winder reference, but the other ones Terence Malick. He's so obviously he would say ripping off because it, some of the shots and some of his compositions are so so like some of Malick's and some of reference shots that it, it almost seems like blatant plagiarism. At least Tarantino has a bit of fucking nuance about it, you know what I mean? But it's almost... It, but it, what's weird, right? And this is why... I wouldn't say pathetic. Pathetic's a very, very strong word, but not only was it so blatantly a recreation of all our directors, but it was all our directors who Gosling's work with and, like, yeah. being most associated with. So it's almost like... I do think he's got talent, but, like, it, it was almost like the wee brother trying to copy the big brother. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, this is, this is what my my bigger friends done and look at how cool it is I'll just mash all these different sort of genres and styles and imagery together and because it looks artistic and it looks a bit different it'll work and it doesn't he's just trying to do too much you know what I mean I like some of the stuff it feels like it's just in there to be in there and he doesn't really know why he's putting it in there yeah. it's just because he did it or whatever I, I think a time it's I think the, the perfect criticism that I've seen in a lot of uh, critiques about the film and it, it, it's really self-indulgent it's like it's he's just doing it because he can do it, and he thinks like, oh, I'll, I'll try and make you think about this scene here, but it means nothing. It's just there for the sake. Yeah. Like the scene that kind of great me a lot was when Christina Hendricks 
cuts her own face off. That's you know what I mean. Yeah, no, it's it's like it's it's a, it's a latex fist because she's doing a performance thing, but it's like it it serves no purpose. Well, just the whole kind of torture part strip club anyway is just yeah, it's just it's why? strange. <laughs> I think it's it is just there for the shock value of it. It's there just they cannot be an assault on the senses, but it serves no narrative purpose whatsoever. Like the, oh, what there? Actually, the worst part. It was that strange, right? That it kind of drew me because I've been thinking about this scene all day. It was that strange that it drew me in that strangeness, and it's kind of, it was original, but at the same time, it was so fucking weird. That I thought, what? What am I watching? What is this doing here? What are you gonna? Ben Mendelsohn dance. All right, Jesus <laughs> Christ Almighty! Like what? Ben Mendelsohn essentially does this strange sort of disco esque, really energetic dance. Christopher Walken esque. Christopher Walken esque, whilst. Christina Hendricks is tra- trapped inside this plastic shell human mold and he's basically threatening the ripper. It is it's bizarre. Like it doesn't it doesn't it does not work. You know what yeah, I mean? It does really not work doesn't. whatsoever. This film sounds fucking crazy. It is mental. It's it is very shit. I really but do want to see it actually. <laughs> no, I, uh, but just because I watched Only God Forgives and when I first saw it, I thought oh, I I hit this film. I you know, I, I don't know what it's trying to do, whatever. It really like threw me. But then I couldn't stop thinking about it for about a week. Yeah. I thought, right, I'll watch it again. And then I love it. Like, the second See, time around. A lot of cinema like that that I watched, I'm not saying anything about Oshriver because yeah. I haven't seen it. But, you know, like, uh, a lot of stuff by Kareem. Yeah, uh, like Even Spring Kareem. Breakers, you know, uh, a lot of it's, like, you know, quite visceral. And, you know, self-indulgence, the word I would use to describe it. But I know cinema sometimes just done for that. Even if it doesn't fit a narrative, a narrative purpose, sorry, can be a rewarding or at Bag least... Time. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like it just it gets you, it gets in yeah, there, it, it gets under your skin. It, 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 yeah, you're still I mean, about even it. I mean, I'm, Jesus, I'm not saying that that there, there certainly doesn't have to be any sort of narrative cohesion or any sort of you know, you would say uh, cohesion in the imagery for a fallen to be effective or for a fallen to work. You just, you'd look at fucking any sort of avant-garde cinema or, or stuff Lynch. like that or Lynch. You know, it leaves an effect on you. And I think like obviously Spring Breakers and any sort of Harmony Corum films, they do it in such a way, but there's still an underlying kind of theme there there's still something there that he's trying to say whereas I think Gosling has too many different voices and too many things he's trying to say well, and it's a bit jumbled Only God Forgives is the film that I was going to compare it to not only visually is it most akin to Only God Forgives mm-hmm. but I think how kind of abstract some of the shots are but I think Only God Forgives is about for me in a way what I read it's like self-hatred and just a kind of desire for violence and how human nature itself is violent whereas we Lost River it doesn't seem like there's anything that he's, he's trying to say but but at the same time I still think that it's a decent film and for a directorial debut I think that he's a very interesting director and he, at least he didn't come out and do a rom-com or, or a standard crime floor he, he tried to challenge people yeah. he, he tried to elevate the material that he wrote he, he, he tried to do something different and I think that's really commendable especially for a director because I mean a lot of directors first time would like to try and play it safe and I think it's even more commendable for Gosling because he is so much in the public eye it's an even bigger risk for him yeah. you know what I mean but you can't you kind of uh, brought up what my biggest problem with the film was was that there there is just no depth to anything there like he presents the characters and then just that happens and that's it you know what I mean there, there mm. there's there's just nothing else there there's nothing to kind of go in there or there's it's yeah. just it's, I don't want to say shallow, but it is just a shallow film. It is quite shallow. But do you know what the, the most ironic thing is? It's a shallow film that thinks it's really deep. You yeah, know I mean, you it's, see, a, shallow, that's it's a shallow film that thinks it's got a lot more behind it. It's got these big woody themes, and I do know for a fact that Gosling wasn't just trying to be 
sort of artistic for the sake of it. I do know that. Well, I do know, guys, because I'm on the phone with them all the time. But I, I you do kind of, you do kind of. <laughs> baby goose, <laughs> baby goose, what up, baby? <laughs> but your film sucks, that. baby. But, <laughs> but, but uh, I commend you. <laughs> but I commend you. I like what you were doing with it. But you can tell that he had a lot of ideas, and it's just I think maybe because it was Gosling, I don't know what the production was like, and because he's a, a fucking Hollywood superstar, because he's an absolute luster, maybe there wasn't as much of a kind of Ellen hand there maybe there wasn't as much of somebody in his ear saying maybe you shouldn't do this maybe he I think he kind of had carte blanche like you know what I mean and we talked about this a few weeks ago it's absolutely amazing having a director who's full of ideas and bursting with creativity and wants to get someone new and fresh onto the screen but because Fallen's a collaborative process and not only because Fallen's a collaborative process but Fallen being a collaborative process actually works in the favour of that sometimes because even if somebody's really creative and they want to get all these ideas you need somebody to say rein it on a bit because this is maybe too this hasn't working you know yeah. it's great to let somebody off the leash and be extremely yeah. creative but at the same time there has to be somebody there to kind of mitigate that because yeah. you can't let somebody go too far off because then it's going to end up bad and it's just going to be too out there yeah it turns into what's inside their head yeah. like you need someone to be like yeah I like your ideas but is this going to work is this relatable like what are you trying yeah. to say here you know, like is this a film or is it kind of going down like an abstract art story? And don't get me wrong, you do abstract art on film. Yeah, right. Yeah. But I don't think that's what Gosling was going for. I think he had an aim, like a kind of fairy tale narrative aim about maybe, I think the sort of thing that comes across to me is maybe like the degradation of society and maybe this sort of Malick-esque theme of like nature and like the, the kind of wildness of nature. But he just doesn't quite nail it. You mm. know what I mean? A few more quick things about it. I think... Pretty much on the whole, it's all good performances. Oh yeah, I actually uh, think that Mendelssohn, especially well, Christina Hendricks is, is always really good, but uh, Mendelssohn and Matt Smith. I mean, like, see if you kind of flesh them out a bit more, they are two fucking scary yeah. bad villains. Like, I mean, like they are two bad fuckers, and you're you want to see more of them, which is I suppose a compliment to the film. Yeah, see, that's what I was gonna say. Uh, one, uh, I'm disappointed Saoirse Ronan didn't get more to do because mm-hmm. she hasn't very much. But Matt Smith gets quite a bit to do, mm-hmm. and in coming from off a film of Terminator Genesis, which essentially he stands in the background and does one thing, and then you don't see him the rest of the film. Yeah. It's nice to see him do a bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think I I don't know about for Sham, but I think the best bit in the film is the scene between Saoirse Ronan and Matt Smith outside the shop. That's amazing. And just the way the that plays out to her getting home and all. Yeah, because I mean, you have this idea of where that's gonna go. I mean, like. Essentially, not for spoilers because it's not really integral to the plot because there essentially has no plot. But uh, Matt, I don't say what happens. <laughs> I'm okay, right, fair enough. I won't say what happens. But you think that scene's going to go in Norway? I think I kind of alluding the it going in Norway. I definitely but it goes a completely different way. But then, but, and, but and, just a thing with Gosling, he he builds the tension really well in that scene. And uh, you're exactly right. You think it's going to go one way, and then just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it, it, go, it, goes, it goes a completely other way, but then it's just as kind of depressing as the way you thought it was going to go. I know yeah. we're being very we're being very guarded here and very veiled, but we don't want to spoil stuff for people. Yeah, because like I definitely want to spoil it. I know, I don't want to. We're not going to, we're not going to. because No, because it is the best part of the film. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah. Go talk. No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. And uh, you know what, it's just been released, I mean, like, that's how we watch it, it's just been released in Netflix. Yeah, also, so everybody watch it. Also, it was in like, can like what how many years yeah but see that's no 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 it wasn't fuck it was was like it was only last year like me and mickey have said before it's never a good sign of uh a film's on netflix within a year yeah 
you know, oh, maybe it was just all the buzz I heard about. What it, about Straight to Netflix? Thing. Parallels, Memories of Rock. I haven't seen it once I play on that radar and just don't get a distributor, <laughs> but this got a lot of attention because it was Ryan Gosling. What I heard this week, actually, as well, off my sister, What's Odd on Lorraine. Oh. Top notch Lorraine. That's what I'm saying. Biggest film crack on earth. Um, no, Aloha, <laughs> that Cameron Crowe film. I, I wanted it, to watch it last week on a pure curiosity, but I haven't yet. No, but apparently, because it did so bad in America, it's not actually being released here. There's, it's just going straight on Netflix here. Fucking hell. Oh, that is a bad, bad scene. <laughs> it's strange because Cameron Crowe's usually so consistent. So well, he's, he's been floundering the last few years, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, they do a turkey this bad. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? It seems pretty fucking out there. Um, What else do you want to say about Lost River? Uh, I think it was pretty much done. <laughs> yeah, it, but I mean, like, they have oh nice well, <laughs> just I just just to talk about Gosling as a director. I I think you're exactly right that he ha- he had some interesting ideas. Not none of it really came off, and I think he just kind of needs to look at maybe not being as so self indulgent and re- and maybe get somebody in that can rein him in a bit. Mm. Maybe a good uh, well, the cinematographer was a it's good. Absolutely, like, it's a phenomenal looking film. I know because yeah. I was going to say maybe a good cinematographer, but a good script editor, I think. I, but, uh, yeah, just somebody that can kind of rein him in a bit and maybe just be all, really? <laughs> mm, I know. But, no, because the actual, the actual idea of it, like a kind of fairy tale-esque story set in this world, yeah. it sounds really good. And there there are some bright spots in there. And I'm, I I wouldn't write him off as a director. Like I'd, no. be, I'd be excited Not to see all. what he does next. I think it's, it's, it's a very commendable film. And, like you say, see it at the sort of source. All the components are there for a good sort of fairy tale magic realism film but just because of maybe a few wee self-indulgent strokes it doesn't really come off and as we said all the performances are great so yeah. he, he obviously can get a good performance it well looks, it's an amazing cast and it looks it? amazing and at the same time even though it maybe doesn't come off and stuff like that i think it's one of those films that would definitely reward repeat viewing you know what i mean i think because yeah. it is an assault in the senses and because there's so many ideas there it's interesting to watch a film like that you know what i mean as opposed to like a one note sort of film that you see all the time where you can just predict what's going to happen i think re-watching that again you might get sounded it that maybe you never noticed before you can maybe see some of the ideas that he was trying to allude to also him and eva mendes they bang they're in a relationship yeah yeah See, because Eva Mendes, Eva Eva, Eva, <laughs> Eva Mendes is in the film as well, and she basically just gets murdered over and over again. Yeah. So she could, she should probably look into that. So <laughs> just like, hey, why Ryan are you Ga- just murdering your wife? Ryan Gosling is sacred, fucking massive. Massages. Are they married or just banging? I have no idea. I think they have a kid. Don't I was joking when I said a name. Like I'm, I, I don't actually know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> like you know him, but you like it's it's a professional relationship. Casual relationship, like you can text him, like but you don't really want to call him. Only text him on block. No, ask him to come around the house. You text him again the next morning. No, I don't know what I was thinking then last night. I meant I meant to text someone else, Ryan. Or just text. I have another fucking Ryan on my phone. You be you be like text beating them all like triangle square sausage. <laughs> oh no, sorry, that was for a different person. <laughs> Just seeing if they'll text ah, back. <laughs> you certainly know how to text, but <laughs> never works. Kiva <laughs> knows the shit we text, but like, not uh, her first time. Like, you better watch it. You kissed her to start this podcast. Maybe oh. text bit you soon. <laughs> Look at that happy chap over there. I got two missed calls off your phone. I was that excited. I dropped my phone down the stairs. Oh, <laughs> 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 there, like 10 minutes. <laughs> Where's my rouge? <laughs> You feel the tension in this gazebo. Damn. It is overwhelming. You could 
cut it with a butter knife that's it right that's the one or the <laughs> lightsaber that you got sitting in front of you although it is not well really a close. lightsaber can cut anything so okay guy yeah. <laughs> another lightsaber and certain metals that I won't go into um <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> if you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Okay, okay, and we shall move on to... It's a cut. Okay, before we go into the first topic, I think it's time to pull another can from the danger bag. <laughs> what do we call it? <laughs> Forgot. Well, danger sack. And a danger sack, eh? A danger can from the danger sack. We're doing our lucky up. So, uh, Who's first? Birthday girl again. Birthday girl. Birthday girl again. So is this gonna? Are they? Is there gonna be any repeats? Or are they no, all no, different? No, no, no. They're they're all different. They're all different. I'm on the right bag here. No, you're I see. You made my mistake. So you were in the wrong bag. It's double bagged. It really reminds. Before I look, do you ever do that thing at primary school where you go to like museums and stuff, and they make you stick your hand and like feel what things are, <laughs> and you're all sand, and they're all no, idiot, it's salt, and you're like, oh, <laughs> oh damn. You take your hand out and lick it. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I bought them in my class. Ooh, I got spiced rum and cola. Oh, that sounds good. That's the, basically just like Morgan's and Coke, isn't it? The perfect serve. <laughs> here you right, go, right, here. Got the right bag this time. I got, oh shit, a woo-woo. <laughs> Actually, you know, for this, you should call it John woo-woo. <laughs> John woo-woo. <laughs> <laughs> what other Fulham-themed cocktails could you have? Um, I don't know. What do I have? <laughs> 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 Completely shut that down. <laughs> okay, no, I was, I was uh, going to say the name of the cocktail I had, and then maybe we could work off that. Yeah, go for it. It really doesn't sign up. 
<laughs> yeah, that's cool. What have I got? <laughs> uh, I got the last cat in the bag, an apple teeny. Oh. Uh, I don't know where to go for that. Scrubs. What? Um, yeah, it's like Gwyneth Paltrow's kid. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, when she is a wine. You're the pump master. We'll let you cook that one. Ooh, try nice. and come up with You don't have to do it now. Look, I put you under pressure. But try and come up with a film theme pun for, for each a casual. Of, so you got woo woo. So you have to do apple teeny and you have to do spice rum and cola. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck with that one. <laughs> I guarantee he'll come up with something. He definitely will. He definitely will. It could be the most tenuous could, link ever. You could have spice world and cola. Ah, it's not bad. Well, that's pretty shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty shit. Sure. <laughs> go on, keep it crack that shit. I like how the the ring pull is gold. Yeah. Oh. Perfect. Well, Sorry, you can take it home and sell it. <laughs> well, it's Shamba. real gold. Marks and Spencer's can there, definitely. Mm. It smells like Morgan's and gold. It's because it's just a complete knockoff of it, probably. Uh, for legal reasons, you can't call it Morgan's and Coke. <laughs> yeah, it's Morgan's and Coke. <laughs> <laughs> it's Spice Drum and Cola. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try my John Woo Woo. Trademark. And this tastes right. Exactly like the Cosmo. <laughs> <laughs> go, on, go on, compare the ingredients. They? Right, let's see. Because know, they taste I, almost identical. I do think Wee Wee has cranberries as well. Yeah. Either both vodka. So, based. right. A Cosmo has a lightly sparkling blend of fermented alcohol, cranberry, and lime juice with orange flavour mixed with vodka, sugar, and sweetener. Okay. And a John Wee Wee contains a lightly sparkling blend of fermented alcohol, cranberry, and peach snaps flavor mixed with vodka, sugar, and sweetener. So there's... There's a bit of yeah, peach snaps. <laughs> there's a bit of peach snaps. I'm nearly upset. I think that's what gave it its loft. I got it on its feet. How's that uh, non-alcoholic Erdinger going down, Dan? I love it. Don't make fun of my life choices, man. Oh, no, man. I respect you, man. And I am drinking an apple teeny paltrow. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> what? <laughs> you blew my mind. Uh, is a lightly sparkling, sparkling <laughs> blend of fermented alcohol, apple juice, and vermouth. Flavored mix with vodka, sugar, and sweetener. Two <laughs> percent <laughs> juice in this one, so I'm I'm on the up. Suppose you got like an Apple Tina Hendrix, but then uh. oh, it's a bit bad because then you think it might be gin in there because of Hendrix. But nah, <laughs> definitely better puns here. But <laughs> <laughs> We've set them on a task. He's You're gonna wake for, up like, at like five a.m. Be all, I've got them. All the podcast finished. Just, just cook them ones, Daniel. Uh, even next week, come back next week. I'm, I'm guarantee that the listeners are tending to them. By the way, the listeners have any? Yeah. You know, maybe they should uh, for once write in. Write them in. Well, exactly. Yeah, one, but yeah. Well, we've had, yeah, we've if, had a handful. If, if, if you have any pun-based film cocktail names. I came up with Emperor, Emperor Palpatine that was good. for a Star Wars one. Mm. Try that now. It has not come to pass. <laughs> What's on it? Ah, pff, dark things. <laughs> <laughs> Just any dark alcohol you have. Dark I things with a hunt of lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> yes, let the alcohol flow through you. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Like, you know, bottles of tequila and there's like a worm in it? Get like a glow worm? Oh, yeah. Oh. Do they still glow when they're dead? Who knows? We could like inject it with something. Nice. It's like a lightsaber. <laughs> Just fuck more shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. 
Okay, we'll go on to the first topic, which uh, I want to follow on just from talking about uh, Lost River. And just films that kind of go for it, like, are, are a bit out there, swing for the fences, go for something a bit mad. Mm. And maybe it doesn't always kind of pan out for it, but you, you just respect it for going for it there. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously films that just don't try and be a standard, like, maybe genre piece that they actually have a lot of original ideas but maybe they just don't all work kind of coherently or, or pan out um i think it's one that me and daniel <laughs> talked about just before the podcast started sorry, sorry can i just interrupt uh daniel just had me a picture of a crudely drawn pint with alec guinness wrote <laughs> 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 oh, <yeah. laughs> that's pretty good you're just creating your own walls though daniel yeah. you're forgetting about us <laughs> I remember we're talking about people who have you know a relentless source of creativity. Let Dan Kelly do his work. Like, I don't you know, know people who swing for the fences and maybe fail. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the the film that me and Dan talked about before we started, which is obviously a film that has so many original ideas, but it doesn't quite uh, they're not quite executed that well. They don't quite blend together. Is Cloud Atlas? And I think that Cloud Atlas is all in all a kind of mediocre film, but you have to respect how much they try to take on. They're trying to take on so many different timelines but i think where cloud atlas fell down is that they tried to make all those timelines in a way sort of different genres and it just doesn't blend because the ben washaw part about hammond is is kind of a homosexual lover that's heartbreaking that alone if it was stretched out to a 90 minute film that could be like a fucking oscar one in drama you know i mean it was so well done and you really get the connection between uh those two lovers and it's, it's a really tragic end that will not spoil it but then when you have that in the same film and they're coping with scenes of uh jim broadbent's character trying to escape from a nursing home and it actually comes off as like this fucking knockoff only fools and horses episode it actually seems ridiculously slapsticky it's so jarring like you're going from one extreme of emotion in this ben washaw story the basically this grinder trying to escape and it's like a knockoff bbc sitcom you know what i mean it, mm. it, it just does not work whatsoever never mind then the fucking massively racist futuristic storyline we what do you call him? Was in Fifty Dead Men Walking? Jim Sturgis. Yeah, Jim where Sturgis. he is Asianed up. They put makeup on him. They make him look Asian, and it's just well. First of all, I can't believe that they even decided to do it because it's so fucking blatantly racist. But, but is then, that not whole, that whole thing that film that like they 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 have the same actors playing the different characters and they're they're all kind of makeuped up yeah, the whole way through it? Like yeah, but I think it's a pretty poor choice, PC wise, especially in the modern day. Like. I mean, I got away with that in the 20s, but not anymore. Yeah, I mean, like, you have the uh, the Asian actress as well, who, you know, she plays, like, a, it's like this sort of uh, English rich man's daughter. Mm. And, you know, uh, I mean, she obviously just looks Asian whenever, like, they try and, like, whiteface her and everything. Uh, and then Halle Berry as well. Whiteface. Uh, yeah, like, they just give her a really big nose. And she's going to be, like, some American, you know, she's, like, the uh, the wife of the uh, composer mm. uh, in the film. But the thing as well, I love Cloudless. I think it's a class film. I know it's got weak areas and you know there was that entire like you know racist angle of it but i don't know i mean i agree with mickey that you know because they had this sort of through line through uh through it of all the same actors like uh hugh grant is very good in it as well uh he plays a savage in it as well which is just such a weird role for him to play i haven't seen him in like anything in so Mm. long yeah i think it almost seems like he's in semi-retirement but anyway yeah no i just i mean obviously I know what you mean that you know certain bits don't uh hit home as well as others and you know the entire jim broadband thing's probably the weakest period of the film uh but you know just that through line that you know then that's made into like 
a Fulham and uh, that then one of the characters eventually sees and you know Jim Broadbent himself you know that has his character at that period is influenced by the stories of Halle Berry as a detective just a sort of through line yeah. of the film I thought was very interesting and it can be like overly sentimental but uh, I really enjoyed it yeah. I thought it worked quite well I think as I say that there's certain segments of the film and certain uh, storylines or, or, or timelines in there that are really excellent and like you could actually stretch them out to their own film but then when it comes down to it, I think it's just, it's too much an ask of the viewer, especially like a casual viewer, to kind of understand what's going on. It just kind of comes across as a bit of a mess because they're, a lot of them are kind of tenuously linked as well and because the, the genre bending in so many of the segments is so sort of jarring, I don't know, for me, it, it just kind of took me out of it completely. It looks incredible. Like, I mean, it looks absolutely amazing. Again, the performances, you can't really fault them, but I don't know, it, it just kind of, it, it threw me a bit. Well, I also have to like, uh, thank Code Atlas because it just gave me a Halle Berry daiquiri. Ah, oh, there we go. There we go. He's on form again. He's having <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's the right notes. Uh, the f- the thing as well, even we, the Tom Hanks segment, where like, they're like kind of in the deep future and it's almost like they're presented as like a sort of, I wouldn't say prehistoric, like, not prehistoric, but like a, a kind of... R- regressed or repressed sort of settlement mm. they're kind of going back and they maybe sort of caveman mentality you know they talk in this sort of yeah, weird yeah use of language and, uh, and he's got like this sort of devil on his back which is you know Hugo Weaving's character yeah. but I mean I know yeah it, some of it is overwrought and a bit cheesy but I don't know I mean there's so much going on that I really really enjoyed in the film and I, you know I know what you're saying that some of the links in them are tenuous but they do all link up do you mean mm. uh, in a certain way that yeah I know I, I really enjoyed the film I think yeah. what the thing I took away from it, even though I do think it's it's a bit of a mess, is that there is a lot that I took away that I actually really, really enjoyed. Not only because it's kind of visually spectacular and I enjoyed certain storylines, but I just think it's just the amount of ideas because that film's only three hours long. And like I think that's kind of the, the crux of what your topic is. It's like you have to commend anybody that's got one good idea to be able to stretch a, a, a film, like even 90 minutes already. But that film's just bursting on. Like, I mean, that film's got enough ideas for about 10 other films, you know what I mean? So I think it's maybe just a bit too cram-packed I think and if, is this not where the initial issue lay with Cloud Atlas because they try and fit so much in the two and a half hours was it not originally supposed to be a TV series I'm nearly sure know. there was talk about Cloud Atlas being a TV series even if that's not right I think it would have worked far better as a TV series uh, you could take so much more time yeah with the you would have way more time to kind of flesh out these storylines and you wouldn't have to rush them and they wouldn't seem as jarring if you had like like we well basically like we said just the time to actually create these worlds and and create like kind of stronger links between them. Would you think it would have worked as like a couple of films though, or just that wouldn't even work? I think as as a couple of films, especially because of the time between releases and stuff like that there, and just probably the, the budgetary constraints. Because I mean, you'd be you'd be looking at maybe you know, five or six separate films. I don't know how they could have done that. I think as a TV series where you can kind of mix them together, it might have worked better. I don't know. It's a it's an interesting one. It's very interesting. Again, like Lost River. Or uh, even like only God forgives these films that are really challenging and, and kind of against the norm. I think they definitely repeat a reward, repeated viewing. Sorry. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, it gets. I mean, it, it's your topic. What's your opinion? It's it's kind of that thing where <coughs> you kind of just have to applaud. You know, even if it's not worked out that well, somebody's ambition or a group of people's ambition. Well, the the one just actually popped into my head. It's it's a bit different because it does something because of the restraints it's under and it's. It's the Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1. Mm-hmm. Because that film, it has maybe two action beats in it, and they're very small. Yeah, And the rest of it is just 
people talking in different rooms yeah. and it, it's obviously because of the sh- of the restraint of they were splitting the last book into two films and for the director francis lawrence they even make a halfway decent film out of that i think it's commendable yeah because like if you think this big blockbuster like a franchise film coming out so- summer and most of it's just people talking in a room you know what i mean well, it's like the harry potter one as well you know the death of hell is part uh, one I, is I, harry potter and the endless hike yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's some good sections in it but yeah some of it you're sitting there like god what what is going on do you ever go camping with harry potter yes <laughs> yes I <have>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they're like it's it's really drawn out but there there are bits in there that you enjoy and i think i think it's just commendable just like obviously he's working under restrictions and just for him to get a halfway decent film out of it i think it's commendable just the, that he actually did it. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I, I respect him and his crew, considering it was studio pressure. They obviously stretch one or film out when really that film shouldn't have been there because they could have easily maybe just padded that and the one film along with you know the second one. But it's definitely like the weakest out of the series, and I think that it's it's a bit of a slog. Sometimes it's really slow. I mean, there's, I, there's well, too much talking. Well, you know I, I, mean? I, especially I, for a franchise film where I have big problems with two as well. Though. Hey, I have big problems. I have big two. problems with two as well. And but it, it is just down to the whole thing that it should have been one. Film. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's, it's the kind of two of them are in there together. And obviously, that that criticism's been leveled at Harry Potter and The Hobbit is the main one. You know, for stretching mm-hmm. out maybe a source text that that should only be one film. Did just you, to make money? Did you hear the thing recently where Peter Jackson basically just came out and he's like, "Yeah, we were winging it the whole way through The Hobbit." It wouldn't surprise me because he, I mean, they, he actually said in, in an interview, and the, the actual reason why he decided to split it into three films then was because he needed more time on the thir- on on the Battle of the Five Armies. Yeah. So they split it and they another film, and. Like I, I enjoyed the Hobbit films, but that really actually fucked me off. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, okay, he's, he's saying he's under time constraints and all this here, but like, <laughs> okay, Guillermo del Toro was on the Hobbit for ages, and they left, yeah. and th- th- then he had to leave because he was under contract to do Pacific Rim for Legendary. Yeah. So he had to leave that project, and it's because there was delays after delays and all this here. So Peter Jackson came in, and. Basically, most of the stuff that Guillermo del Toro was doing was kind of thrown out because it would have been Peter Jackson doing a del Toro film then, yep. essentially. So I kind of understand that air, but then they never gave him the time to actually do what he did with The Lord of the Rings. That's why so much of that film is CG, is yeah. because they didn't have time to get a thousand extras in and make them up and all that. Mm-hmm. That's why all the arcs are CG. Even the main fucking arcs, they're in it yeah, like, like even Azog and stuff aye, like that aye, the, uh, Azog the Defender and all that it's CG they actually had them in costume while they were shooting like you can look up like set photos of what they actually looked like but they looked shit because they didn't have enough time yeah they, they construct they, them yeah they even just create a character properly mm. and when I heard that like I enjoyed the Hobbit films obviously they're nowhere near the Lord of the Rings trilogy yeah. but it just really fucked me off that like Peter Jackson just comes out and says, "Yeah, we were winging it the whole way," and like that he would even put up with that. Yeah, well, like, but, but I mean, do, does he have a choice though? Well, he does. I, I, he I, does have a choice. He's Peter Jackson. I, he but, doesn't have to direct that I, film. But I, at the same time, it's that's his baby. I mean, like that—that's his—that's his lineage. That I mean, he created that with the Lord of the Rings, so obviously he feels a deep love and a deep sort of loyalty to do it properly. Aye, well, but no, he no, didn't I, do I it properly. Well, 
not even so much do it properly, but I, at least no. put out the best product possible. Because no, you know for a fact, if somebody came in and doesn't understand that world, like some fucking hack director that they got in just to finish the job, then it would have been ten times worse. No, but I think I think Peter Jackson has has the kind of clout. I don't think I, he's got enough sway. No, 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 but per- per- no, but particularly with that project. But obviously he didn't like, because they didn't give him the time. I mean, I guarantee that he well, probably sure. argued for the time and they didn't give it to him. Hmm. Walk away then. See what I they're going to do. With. How could he walk away from that? Like after creating such a well putting years well, so, of his life, so losing about ten stone. Doing so it, so he's mean? so he's putting something substandard out there rather than just saying I'm not a part of this. This isn't what I wanted to do. I think though he would. I know we're going I'm not. I'm not speaking for, but I think he would rather put it on substandard than give it to someone else. They probably ruin it because they wouldn't have the same understanding of that world. Nobody will, because even when Guillermo del Toro was doing it, even though he's got a similar sort of mindset and a similar thing for creating fantasy worlds, I was still a bit uneasy about it, because I do, for me personally, I think del Toro is a bit overrated. I think narratively, none of his films really hold up, but visually, he's excellent. He's very, very yeah, much Yeah, he makes style. stupid looking good films. Yeah, man. exactly. Whereas Jackson can nail the narrative too, and... When Del Toro was slitted, they direct The Hobbits, I was a wee bit uneasy about it. That's all what they say, but I was kind of happy when he dropped out and Peter Jackson took over. Because I don't think anybody could do it but him. But he didn't do it. He'd done it better than anybody else could. Yeah, but if he actually gave him the time... That but that's what I'm saying, but they didn't. So we, well, we it's, don't just, it's just studio interference. I mean, yeah. you, I don't really, really point the finger at Jackson. Exactly. Or, like, no, I, I'm not slagging off Jackson. The, yeah. the, 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 well, when I first heard that thing, I was really fucked off at Peter Jackson. And I think... Right, fair, fair enough. What what Shan's saying, like, okay, he was he was under pressure. He didn't feel like he could kind of hold it up or whatever. And like, even when the first Hobbit came out, I heard they were editing up to like a week before the premiere, or whatever, like, a couple of days before the premiere. Phenomenal for a production of that size, like, yeah, it's unheard of, like, really. But I just think, particularly with that project, he could have had the clout just to say, "Do you want this to be another Lord of the Rings?" Because I need more time if you want it to be. But I see, I, I genuinely think that he's got such a... Like, that's his life. Like, I mean, he's do, dedicated so many years now to the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit sort of uh, <coughs> world that I, I guarantee that's it. Do you actually think that Peter Jackson would have just went, oh, no, you know what? If you're not giving me that amount of time, fuck it. We'll just do whatever we want. He obviously would have argued until he was blue in the fist for as much time as possible. And they probably give him as much time as they deem necessary. Well, if Fox me up with the studio, then that they, yeah, they, couldn't, they couldn't give it an extra year or whatever. Yeah, they, they definitely should have. It's, the, it's disappointing, like especially if it's something you're invested in, even not a fan of the book, but a fan of Lord of the Rings or mm. a fan of Peter Jackson, that, yeah, maybe you didn't enjoy the films, but then to hear someone blatantly come out and say that they didn't do the job that they should have done, literally said it is disappointing. Like, I think as well, I mean, disappointing. Maybe, fair off you can kind of commend them for being truthful but at the same time I think not, and maybe a way you didn't realise that's, that's a massive insult to the fans like, yeah. you yeah. know what I mean it's, it's a mad it, <clears throat> sorry excuse me especially people who've kind of not only dedicated their lives to the films or love the films and love everything about them but you know especially the book readers who've kind of embraced the films then just they think oh this book The Hobbit which maybe some people we went in 40-50 years to be made and then it's made subpar even though you had this creative colossus who delivered such high quality with Lord of the Rings films for him to say Oh, well, you know what? We just kind of rushed it then. It's, yeah, I know exactly where you're coming from, but I don't think it's Jackson's fault. Like, I'm not saying it's Jackson's fault, but it makes me angry with Peter Jackson. Yeah, well, I it just, it, it just I, I think it's, the, I think the whole it's thing overall fucks me off. Yeah. And he's at the top, uh, he's at the top of that pyramid, but so then obviously, it's, it's, a it's, it's the fistless suit, so he gets yeah. the flag for a day. He's the. Uh, but it. 
I just think like I like I I enjoyed all three Hobbit films. I had problems with all of them as well, but there's stuff in there that I really enjoyed. But I just think now that you know why everything was CG and why like all these bad things were in it is because he was pushed for time. He was winging it. He was just kind of making decisions on the fly or whatever. It just you just think why? Yeah, it leaves a very bad taste in your mouth. Like it's a bit like when I I was watching Lost. <clears throat> uh, the first season. I know it's a, it's TV. I won't even bring it up for too long. But no, it's alright. He was, I was probably far away. I was like, <laughs> uh, you know, when it came out and you're quite intrigued, like, what the fuck's the f- what's going on? But but then, me, my favorite thing is spe- special features. Yeah. I can't buy a DVD and not watch the special. That's why I buy the DVD. You know. Yeah. And the writers were saying that like per episode they were literally just making shit up. I was all. Why should I invest in this if mm. you're not? What you don't even know where you're going episode to episode. Yeah. And not that that's. I mean, sometimes that can make for exciting viewing, but a wee bit. You, if you're investing in something as a fan, you want, you want to feel like there's a bit more depth you than what you're like relating this, this to. I mean, sure, even like probably the biggest TV show in, in recent years, or one of the biggest maybe ever, Breaking Bad. I mean, Vance Gilligan came out a good couple of times and says that they kind of took pleasure in having to write themselves out of a corner. They were writing yeah. series and not knowing where they were going with them. And it kind of paid off. Well, it definitely fucking paid off them. It then ended up being Breaking Bad. But I think it only paid off maybe up until the end of Series 4. Because I personally think, and I've said it before, that I think Series 5 is actually pretty substandard. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I mean, he, I think he, they went too far with it. Like, he actually said uh, at the beginning of Series 5, when you see him getting the gun and all in that cafe, they didn't know why he was getting that gun yeah, when yeah, they wrote it. That, yet again, that is studio interference as well, because they were made to break up the seasons I mean, but I agree completely with Shan they wrote themselves in the corner that they relate it and write themselves out of like there's a scene where Walt takes off a watch and puts it on top of the like a, a phone box uh, and people oh is this like him saying that you know he's, he's done with you ever gave him that watch ever? and they're all no it's because in that scene that you talked about where he got the gun he doesn't wear the watch so it was a company yeah. error but it's just yeah. ridiculous like but you're talking about Lost as well that you know uh, obviously they're writing stuff on the fly but with Lost it was so like high concept and like you know really like weird where you really needed an answer that drew all these things together that made sense then it's just ridiculous like it's crazy that they did as well as they did and people don't actually unbass it's a terrible idea to do something like that but you you see you hear so many stories where it does actually pay off for people like like with the first few series of Breaking Bad like uh, I mind the story when the episode where Jesse's in, in in the RV and Hank's outside they didn't know how that was going to be resolved, yeah. like, and mm. and then they they wrote themselves into a corner that they had to get out of, kind of thing. And another thing with uh twenty four, a series I really liked. I don't think anyone here actually watched yeah, it. I've never, never it. seen it. I've always watched. I I, I I really liked it, but they they actually did it both ways. They they would like uh for a couple of series they actually planned out the whole series. They knew the exact way they were going to go with the whole thing, but then like our series, they just wrote an episode, wrote an episode, just put mm. in stuff resolved it and that's the episodes that won the mayonnaise for writing yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean exactly. so it, it does seem to pay off for I think the some w- way as well maybe it's because it kind of it does keep you guessing because even the writers don't even yeah, fucking I think, know I mean, like mm. it's, this, it's this sort of creative this spontaneity this creative burst but I, it's, it's, it's a risk because you need to be able to pay it off so There's you need to have confidence in your own writers so as well it's yeah. obviously a huge risk but I think we shows or maybe screenwriters or TV writers who do that I think 
that it can only be successful for so long. I don't think that you can point to any show quality-wise that's consistently successful that has done that. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not Mo- sustainable. It, most of the shows that are consistently successful season by season, like The Sopranos or like The Wire, or even, you would say, even maybe they a certain degree Game of Thrones, even though maybe it's got to be about stolen points, but I mean, they're, they're, they're having to adapt off a of source material. Because they're thought out, all their series are consistent. I mean, like The Wire and Sopranos, are, they could basically, they're like fucking visual books, you know mm, what I mean? Because yeah. so much research and so much plannings went on them. I think... Well, the fifth series always felt weak to me, though. What? Of The Wire? Yeah, I, I think that's when they kind of, they leveled out a wee bit. I think they tried, because, I mean, if obviously... They, it feels like they did a fifth series, they do a fifth series. Aye, exactly. And well, as well, we are talking about self-indulge, self-indulgence aye, earlier on. I think that, obviously, the main thing about Series 5 is it's very self-indulgent, because... It's David Simon talking about journalism and how it can actually, you know, uh, affect society and all. I maybe back in the seventies of Watergate and stuff, but then seeing it in the modern day where you know newspapers are dying out and it's well to say, but journalism really means fuck all anymore and doesn't really have that capacity to did change. He, did he used to be a journalist? Yeah. And what was the other main writer in that? Oh, he was the cop. Would you call him again? But oh, like, but it, yeah, did, it, it was him. He used Lansman. to be a school teacher. That's why they did the four series. Let's see. I think the reason the four series works so well is because not only did it take a completely different spin on the show and, and putting it from you know like the fucking ganglands of Baltimore and their school, but it showed how the ganglands of Baltimore is affecting the school system, and as well the school system in any country and in any society and any culture is one of the most influential things there is. Whereas the but one of them did used to be a school teacher or something. I they? cannot remember. I think I heard that. But one of like obviously the influence of journalism is not what it used to be and it just seemed like David Simon trying to you know toot the horn for journalists worldwide when it's not really the case anymore maybe like a film like fucking All the President's Men or something like that when they literally brought down a fucking presidential administration like that's when journalists mattered you know before the dawn of the internet and everybody having their two cents or before boys started Everyone's doing podcasts and talking about films I, but <laughs> I, I think he was just trying to admit a few things and he just made up a few stories on his time but even like the, the, wire, the wire kind of flew high the wire kind of flew in the fist oh, fifth series of the wire kind of flew in the fist of all the other series too because they got very Hollywood with. I mean, like that. Yeah, that, the entire that, thing with McNulty and that, Lester Freeman, yeah. like the, the serial killer, and I, that's when it really did become where they're not really saying anything that much more interesting. They're like, just trying to make it like, exciting. No, it, yeah, but I, it it, fe- it felt like kind of reactionary as well because the fourth series McNulty is barely in it. He's not an alcoholic. Yeah. He's he's not really in the show, and like for the first three, like he was essentially the main character, and everybody loves a drunk McNulty, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if, like. In the first series, when he's back on the drink and stuff like that, it just feels like they're just doing that to like appease. It's the actually fans really funny. You can see like uh, there's uh, obviously like, I watched the wire after it was out, but there's like some uh, art for like people who wanted to watch it, and like one of the season five posters is just a picture of nothing, and it's all he's back. <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? But that, how, how Hollywood can you get like you know and the wire? Yeah, just just so um, we. Just a wee quarter bottle of Jameson. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Explosion behind him. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, just going back to the sort of writers being spontaneous and not actually having a plan, I think that the reason that that can only work for so long is when you have a new show, it only kind of works with TV. I mean, it can be spontaneous with a film because it's a very enclosed piece of work, but obviously there's so much more plan that has to go on their film. You have to have the script nailed down and stuff. I, so I, I, like, I, I don't think he can be nah, spontaneous. Nah, he can't be spontaneous with a film because every element has to, well, you would like to think that every element has to be nailed down before production starts, whereas yeah. with TV, there's a bit more leeway. I think that the reason that the spontaneity only lasts so long in TV shows is because, say, if you have a fresh TV show with a new set of characters, because the characters are new and you're being spontaneous with them, you don't really have any mindset or you don't have any sort of expectancy of what that character is going to do. So them being spontane- spontaneous or them doing kind of weird things or the plot not really adding up adds to the mystique. 
But then as time goes on and you learn about the characters and you know their personalities and how they will, you know, react to stuff, you then have a structure of what you expect of that character. So the spontaneity doesn't work anymore, it just yeah. becomes jarring, you know what I mean? Yeah, but they talk as well about a follow movie didn't have the planning, but it's still a lapse of mastery apocalypse now. Yeah, I mean, like, well, no, well, that 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 have planning, but just everything went wrong. Like, yeah. possibly go wrong. Like, you know what I mean? But I mean, they kept shooting and they kept adding. Coppola kept on adding scenes, and he said that you know he would have spent two or two more years in there shooting scenes yeah. unless the studio stopped him. And you know, this is he had a heart attack during that as well. Didn't had he? a heart attack and Michael Sheen trying to yeah. try to kill himself, which was caught in camera and uh, was in the film. That's a really good scene. <laughs> <laughs> Another fo- I I haven't actually seen it. I was meaning to watch it, but I couldn't find it. That was ridiculously well planned but the same everything went wrong i think it's called roar um do you know tippy hedron is that her name from from the the birds birds, so her and her husband and her family essentially for about 20 years were ordering big cats ordering (laughs) 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 big cats are like you know as cubs from like zoos or from africa or from wherever (laughs) they could get them I so, thought you just meant like massive house cats. <laughs> like, order me a big cat. <laughs> <laughs> massive cats. Um, and uh, they let them live from cubs in their house because they came across somewhere in the middle of nowhere a house that was just run down with like lions. And they were all, they were all that would be a class film. So for like years, over like decades, they were collecting these cats, raising them along with humans but they're obviously still wild animals <laughs> and then they made this I mean their whole life investment was in this film um, so they could not make it people like her husband had his head almost butt off children family everyone was just getting bitten by these like big cats but they were like we have to make this film because what, uh, well, what else are we going to do we've got like? the production going on now so this has to be completed and it took I think over the span of the whole thing about 30 years to make and I don't even think it was very good I haven't oh, seen it man. but I'm dying to watch it just to be like what, what? the fuck is going on like? <laughs> I think then the summaries if you plan you will have consistent quality if you don't plan you're a fucking hack wise up fail to prepare prepare to fail thank you very much Kevin. to Roy King quote <laughs> we prepared that earlier <laughs> <laughs> so that sums up our Topic on films swinging for the fences. <laughs> <laughs> also, I meant to ask, did you make up that term? I've never heard that term in my life. Wow, swinging for the fences is that a term? That's the term. All oh, right, okay, it's from baseball. Is it? Yeah, if someone's swinging from the fences, it's get the ball to the fence. Ah, there we go. Is it? But from the f- yeah, I don't from the fence to the fence. <laughs> No, I'm swinging to the fence. To the fence. To the wall. Swinging for the fence. Oh, yeah, for the fences. Well, yeah. <laughs> to the fences. Time. To the walls. <laughs> Go <laughs> swinging. Hit them balls. <laughs> oh, oh, them fans going to cheer. <laughs> oh, yeah, baseball. <laughs> uh, but I don't want to break up one as well. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, Sean Coyle, what's your topic? Uh, it's just something that I've been thinking about recently. My topic is, is it ever right to walk out of a film? No. Yes. I know, definitely. <laughs> no, this, this, that my immediate answer is yes. But the reason that I'm saying this is, of course, it is 
completely acceptable for you to walk out of a film because film at a basic level as a commodity you've paid for it if you're in a cinema you can do whatever the fuck you want with you know you, you can leave if you're not liking it you can do it you can jacket dances you can jacket you don't need you don't need universal symbol for jacket oh, oh. what this <laughs> only he only really it. only if you're who does a visual joke on a podcast honestly <laughs> I don't want you to bring it up no I know what type of man I am um, only if you're in the certain jacking areas, <laughs> back corners, darkly lit bits, you know. The, f- yeah. the, sna- the snack place. <laughs> when, when nobody's in front of you, you know. But, I, right, okay, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, it's a commodity, so you can do whatever you want. With. You can leave if you want to. If a film shitter, it's just not a penalty. But the thing that grapes me, right, and maybe I've worded my topic poorly, but the thing that gets my tits is people who criticize or slit the film if they've left 20 minutes 30 minutes in even if they haven't i i hate that for me personally right even if a film is atrocious even if the first 30 or 40 minutes you've seen that film is atrocious i don't think you can ever justifiably give a complete opinion on that film unless you've seen the whole lot of it because you never know yes you can easily say what i seen was push and i guarantee the rest of it was push and more likely that is the quality of that that is usually how the quality of the film would go but it just annoys me when people don't see the whole lot i mean just grunt the sit out and bear it if you want to make an opinion it, you know what I mean? I well, you see, I've only ever walked out of one film. See, I never have. I fell asleep during only two films in my life. And there are two films that actually aren't that bad. I don't know what happened. I fell asleep during Swain and Todd, but that's just because I was really tired. It's not a comment on the film. <laughs> Please don't attack me. <laughs> What's this? <laughs> What's this? <laughs> <laughs> Different film, sorry. Uh, no, yeah, I've only ever walked out of one film and it was Warm Bodies. I went to see it with Jill, uh, Nicholas Holt. I seen that on. D- it's like a zombie film. Oh no, film. no, it's weird too because it's weird too because it's it's not a great film, but it's definitely not the worst film you've ever no, seen in a cinema. No, you see this this is the thing that just wait, we had been drinking before <laughs> we went in, mm-hmm. and we we're maybe about half an hour and and ba- basically that film like takes a lot of liberties with kind of zombie lore, and I'm not like a fucking zombie hardcore <laughs> kind of guy like they have to do this did it offend your person Mickey? no it the didn't. liberties they were taking with no, the lorem zombies no this, no this is what i'm saying it didn't don't but joke it, about that but it takes a lot of liberties with it and i was just kind of sat there you just couldn't handle no i was just kind of like oh okay, i had to get out of there man this this is just making up shit at this point you know what I mean? <laughs> all films are just making up shit <laughs> Every film you've ever seen is just making up shit. But Jan, I felt it. <laughs> Trust your gut. And I, I just kind of turned around to Jill, and I was, I was just like, we could be drinking at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and she was all, do you want to go? And I was like, yeah. Aww. So we, we left maybe like half an hour. Around it. But from what I hear about the film, it's actually a pretty good film. It's all right, though. So I was like, I, I would never say like it's a bad film. I was like, I would... I would but me walking out to the fact that I just wanted to drink more and that I couldn't drink in a cinema because yeah. I don't have any alcohol. I had a similar, my only, apart from like I had a really bad cough once and I really didn't want to sit and watch the whole of Lema's coughing through it. Like, yeah. fuck that. Um, but I actually. Yeah, that just adds to it now. No, people <laughs> were staring at me. So I need to go. <laughs> but, uh, That's because you were drinking a masturbating too in the cinema. <laughs> I was in a dark corner. <laughs> you were she, a, you were she, a, she was in the designated masturbate area. <laughs> you were a civzo. I booked my seats and all. Um, That's no, definitely where I'm sitting during Star Wars. The first. I will be dehydrated by that. <laughs> <laughs> Three tears and sperm. <laughs> oh, did you yes. get Did you get salted popcorn? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Sorry, did, uh, did we get Dan's? 
poem on what, there? Lages or Ablas? Lages or Ablas. <laughs> pretty good. So pretty good. I actually walked out of the, uh, what do you call it? You know, the the first James Bond that had Daniel Craig in Casino it? Casino Royale. Casino Royale. Um, so the bit, how did I not know that? The bit when they're in the casino, right? <laughs> it was not on it. Wait, it was wait, sitting next to the Queen line. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm not going to judge the film apart from all i seen of it was a lot of product placement. I didn't walk out because of the film. I walked out because I was with people we were drinking beforehand who were being really Larry, like really Larry. And I was like, they were all, fuck this, Bob, did you leave? I was all, okay, yeah, let's leave. <laughs> let's go. James Bond. Let's <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say because of all the product placement, you just had to go out and buy things. <laughs> and I was oh, the cinema didn't even sell Heineken. What? <laughs> <laughs> What is a salmon not sell bio computers? <laughs> I want a seven hundred pound watch. <laughs> That's just the knockoff version. It's probably like f- seven grand. Oh, but, I mean, well, it's worth checking the time then. Essentially, <laughs> the, the theme that we're or the sort of pattern that it is emerging here is that alcohol. Alcohol <laughs> seems to be the enemy of cinema. Define this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Although, in like most cinemas, not in Northern Ireland, you can buy beer and stuff in the cinema. Dublin. Every, like I <laughs> Dublin is a city I've heard of. Um, no, but it's quite normal. It's quite normal. It's like their name is like Kiev. It's expensive, obviously. It's like cinema priced beer, yeah. so you can only imagine. But well, you, you can get drunk here as well. You just need to bring it on me. Well, yeah, but, <laughs> no, but is there a Michael? reason that we're not allowed? Is there a reason that we're not? There's, a, there's actually like a really. Because we walk out. Heron like left a bag behind one time when he was seeing a showing, and then whenever like he came back, he's like, "Oh, sorry, did you find a bag in that screening?" Like the manager was all like, "Uh, we f- we did find a bag, but we also found an empty bottle, and you have alcohol in your breath, like hard alcohol, because whiskey was drinking." And Heron's like, "I am what." She's <laughs> 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 not afraid. Ah, you have me bag, go, don't you? <laughs> like, that's it. <laughs> it's like I walked out of the cinema and had. Ten whiskeys. <laughs> What's the problem? <laughs> uh, you left three months ago, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I still don't see the problem. <laughs> uh, we've all done that, haven't we? We've all snuck drunk in the cinema. Oh, why? Yeah. That's the worst. No, I, I actually don't think I've ever actually snuck drunk. I didn't sneak drunk in, but it. somebody else did, and I drunk it all. I snuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's the worst. And it's just for the fun too. I snuck a ten glass of Buckfast into the Muppets movie. <laughs> <laughs> The, the, you want me, well. the you want me, Jason Segel? Uh, <laughs> oh, actually, it would have been weird if it was at any other previous movie. <laughs> you would have went about five or me something. Me sent me a bunch of kids. <laughs> Started drinking when I was three. <laughs> I brought a bottle of Sovereign Comfort, a half bottle of Sovereign Comfort, and the, the Exorcism of Emily Rose. <laughs> and I, lo- I was really, really loving that film. I saw it. Like, I was with Nikki Dunn, and I can't remember who else, but I was in the middle, and they were both shitting themselves they were really <laughs> afraid of this film plus me getting caught being steaming and I was starting to crack <laughs> yeah I had loads of vodka during, ironically the hangover which I experienced <laughs> then the next day hey. and yeah uh, and uh, grandpa was as hell as well I had some whiskey during that it was good I think it will work well though mm, it's good See, I, uh, I like a fine whiskey mm. yes I like having a few drinks with a film See, a lot of people say, oh, no, it throws you in because you can't focus as much. I don't know. Maybe it's just my mindset now, or maybe it's because I'm a raving alcoholic. <laughs> no, but I mean, if you're going to get, like, rode off, obviously you're not going to concentrate. But I think casual drink. Aye. Yeah. But 10 cans or something. You yeah. Just trying to follow them. That's casual. Or 15 I, bottles. To pick, you know. <laughs> they bring it back to, they bring it back to the topic. Have you ever walked out of a film in your own house? <laughs> 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 just let it play and you just I, wander. I was like, just... <laughs> 
Whatever you're drinking, ball of vodka, that disgusts all of Just soak in your loving them on vodka. Straight up, match, burn your fucking house down. I'm out of here. <laughs> Have you? That's how Mickey moves every two months. <laughs> <laughs> you can't hold me down. <laughs> You'll never find me. I'm off. Um, yeah, well, I think what we came to with should you walk out of the film is yes. Do what you want. But shut the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> um, because I, you're drunk because you walked out of the film. <laughs> <laughs> it seems to me like, you know, like walkouts, you only hear about them, like, you know, with these like big movie festivals where like all the critics are offended or ah, oh they don't they don't like the new one yeah and they're just doing it as like a statement do you yeah, know what exactly. I mean uh, and you know, what, you know like, what the worst thing is they, as well they've, they've decided before they've walked yeah, in that yeah. fucking picture Be- they're going to walk out because critics are some of the most egotistical and self-involved people that you ever meet as well not us though not yeah, us yeah, not because <laughs> We don't take ourselves seriously. We do it ironically. <laughs> <laughs> I've walked out of this tent. <laughs> 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 but, uh, we don't like ourselves. I have a small bag. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's why he's got that big lightsaber. But uh, uh, you're, you're definitely right, though, Dan. Obviously, when people walk out, or like when critics walk out of the film, it's definitely a statement. And you know what I what gripes me the most about that or what I hate most about that is it isn't even their actual genuine reaction to the film. They might not like the film, but them walking out is almost like them trying to make a show of themselves, them trying to show how you know how much their influence is exerted on kind of like people's opinions. Like, oh, I walked out of that film. But as it, if it's a big deal. But it actually completely goes against what a what I'm being like, a critic is. Yeah. That's why like, I, I you actually, need to w- sit through the worst shit and then comment on it. You can't walk halfway out. You can't walk halfway through because the next half an hour they can say, "Oh no, it was sweet. You just walked out." Exactly. It's your problem. You know. What I, mean? I I think as well it's. I think it's a big insult because there's people who do fucking seriously hard graft in the world. There's people who don't know work in factories or have proper fucking jobs. Whereas a critic is a very privileged job. You get to do what you absolutely love, watch films and fucking write about them and get paid probably a pretty fucking decent wage. So the fact that you can't even sit through a fucking hour and a half or two hour film because your sensibilities are so offended, fuck off. Like sure. you sat through worse shit. It's you know a good I mean? example of that kind of that kind of idea of a critic, the the lady in Birdman. Yeah. You know, at the bar, and she's like, I'm not even going to see your... I know it's not about films, but it's a, she's a, like a play or yeah. a theatre critic, and she's like, not even going to see it, but it's getting a bad review because I don't like you. Yeah. See, that's the worst thing, and that is a very dangerous critic. It's a critic who knows his or her own influence, and they know that even if they maybe even like the film or maybe had some sort of uh, like for some of the aspects, maybe because they're in a certain social circles of filmmakers and they know them or maybe there's a personal dislike or maybe because they just want to make us to make Armand White is the that ultimate is awesome. example. Yeah. Armand White is seen as the anti-critic. I mean, like, essentially... He's, he's Armand White. He is a American film critic who... It's New York Times. Right? New York Times. He deliberately goes against the popular opinion just to stand out and be different. He'll call some of the best films of all time absolute trash, but he'll praise someone like white chicks just to stand out. And how he's still got a reputation or, or still got some stand as a critic, I don't know, because he's so deliberately trying to... He, he's not on it for the love of film. He's not on it to actually do film criticism. He's on there just to make himself some sort of well, quasi-celebrity. I, you know what I, mean? I think you just answered your own question. The fact that you brought him up as a, as a contrarian, basically... Yeah. That's that's what that's what he wants. Yeah. He wants his name to be out there. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, even like Ebert, I think he did a lot of good work. I mean, Ebert's best-selling books were like Your Fulham Sucks, where he gave scathing reviews, and you know he used all this uh, like, uh, purple prose to really put down a film. And like, come on, what what does that even serve? I I you know think. What I mean, I mean, like obviously, I the, always the, thought with Roger Ebert, though, he always kind of backed up what he was saying. Like, 
Love John Carpenter, it's all matters. But uh, <laughs> no, but I mean, like, I, I do agree. There's a lot of purple pros with Ebert, and I think film criticism books and just you know film books in general have their place in sort of academia or just general interest. But I do think that the difference with Ebert is that he genuinely doesn't like those films. He wasn't just saying that they you know go against the the, the norm, or you know he wasn't just saying that they try and make some sort of celebrity himself. He knew that obviously he had the the reputation as maybe the the sort of most influential critic maybe ever, maybe besides Pauline Kael. But I don't think he was doing it. I think he could be egotistic all times, mm. and he could maybe self-involve himself too much in his own criticisms. But I think that he done it out of like a, a genuine maybe negative response to a film or a positive response. Yeah, maybe I mean? he didn't actually like it, as opposed to I don't know that other guy. But he sounds like he just really rocked at debating at school. You know where you had to just take the opposing opinion. It's kept the debate yeah, he's, team. He's, he's just a contrary. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, devil's avocado. Aye. So devil's avocado. <laughs> Such like myself. <laughs> yeah, you love everything. No, I don't. Okay, we shall move on to Recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> These introductions are getting even worse. It's going to be like five minutes of introductions. <laughs> Such melody. This the is topics turning a beatbox or all that. I was getting fresh in there now. Goosebumps and all. <laughs> That's just being around, Mikey. This is this, this, this is raw this, sexual energy. Uh, this is Mikey's progressive period now. <laughs> this, is, this, is, uh, this, is, this is the element we're getting on the. <laughs> okay, we'll go with Kiva. My recommendation is Moulin Rouge. Boom. Uh, Baz Luhrmann's. Moulin Rouge, not Very that bad. there's another. <laughs> <laughs> um, probably... Just call me bad. <laughs> bad. One of my personal favourite musicals. Um, but in saying that, I've got about 25 of them. So, <laughs> <clears throat> uh, But I thought this one would be good. Not that probably a lot of people might have heard of it and not seen it. It's probably worth a rewatch, even if you have. Uh, Sean, you were saying earlier you hadn't really seen... Or known too much about musicals in general, and and probably the only country in the world that's had a successful long running musical career. I'll say that for a country yeah. is India, especially Bollywood, yeah. based in Mumbai. Uh, and Baz Luhrmann said that his film Moulin Rouge would not have happened had it not been for his influence yeah. from Bollywood and Indian cinema, which most of them still are and were always musical based not saying all but a lot yeah. and uh yeah it's very good also it has the kind of i mean you're getting madonna songs on there along with nirvana songs yeah it's always fun you mcgregor and nicole kidman are nice at singing <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we don't read um, I'll go with my recommendation next. My recommendation is Under Siege. Yes. Starring Steven Seagal. Yes. Or Seagal, if you want to pronounce it wrong. And uh, Tommy Lee Jones. And also, the very first pair of tits I've ever seen. They puff. <laughs> <laughs> the first so, of many for my game. So watch that film and imagine me as a nine-year-old boy pretending to sleep in a bunk bed while my brother watched it on a 12-inch TV. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm there. Thank you. Is that what you recommended? Just yeah, it's, a, a it, it is literally the first part that's ever seen me puff. <laughs> when she burst out of the cake, I was like, "What's this?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this. cake. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately started having sex in my bed, <laughs> which is difficult to do discreetly on a bunk bed. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> So that's why your brothers don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't like them. Uh. They interrupted me. <laughs> <laughs> the intruders. Like like interrupted. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Going to talk about Bronson. Ah, yeah. Uh, I mean, we sort of talked about wine repping earlier on. Oh, do you want you want to know a fun fact? Go. The composer of Bronson is the composer of Lost River. <laughs> oh, really? Surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because uh, he actually did additional composing on uh, Drive as well. Good. <laughs> I know that there's a Desire song in Lost River too, but then we continue. Oh yeah, just to say, it's, it can be quite a challenging film at times, you know, that uh, it doesn't, I don't know, what's the word, it, it doesn't fit into maybe like a Hollywood <coughs> niche that you might sort of expect maybe off a Tom Hardy film, but it is not your role. <laughs> Uh, so like it's very surreal and sort of maybe even like an art just piece. Just you talking about his challenge, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 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 Sorry about that. Do you laugh? Uh, that's a rule. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, what can you really say about it? It's a very aggressive and down performance by Hardy. It's a, I, I'm going to say it, it's very well shot. <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of stark, harsh colours, uh, a lot of really violent passages and just this uh, weird plot that you know is really grounded in reality because he's a real man that loved that tom hardy spoke to you as well a great yeah. deal in, in like to uh sort of encapsulate the role but yeah it's very very enjoyable uh as i say challenging but yeah very good watch tom so. hardy is amazing as well and just mm. if you ever want to see just a big naked oiled up tom hardy hi <laughs> uh, he gets naked in it as well yeah so oiled up oiled up as well hi so you can't catch him by a prison guard i love that line i said oh my asshole not in my asshole when he's fucking getting greased up in the hole with a prison guard that's fucked up yeah uh, my recommendation because Kiva brought musicals and I was kind of struggling for one is probably my favourite musical Singing in the Rain but a standard one but it's just you know what because it's so beloved by so many generations I don't think that's a coincidence it's just such a well made film every single element is amazing it's just kind of happiness on screen it's got a great storyline and then as an extra sort of layer for maybe somebody who's on the film it's about film history as well it's about the dawn of the talkies and how the silent film uh, stars a while all of them kind of faded away when uh, sound cinema came in because their voices weren't quite good and then their maybe overly theatrical acting was kind of caught out and obviously because the times were changing it was realised that you know that they actually weren't that great an actor but they just fitted what silent cinema or what a lot of silent cinema was uh, amazing songs in there Gene Kelly is one of the most charming men of all time and it's just a really fun happy watch lovely stuff Okay, we'll wrap it up there, folks. Thank you so much for listening. If you like getting in contact with us, you can find us on Facebook, Let's Talk More Movies Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Talk More Movies, or you can email us, Let's Talk More Movies at gmail.com. You can also like, subscribe, leave us comments on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and also on ACAST, where you can get interactive shows and links. Best place to listen to us. <laughs> He's drawing this out because he doesn't have anything done. <laughs> Shut up, you don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> I have been your host, Michael Breslin. <laughs> Shanko's been Shanko. Yeah. Dan Kellum's been Dan Kellum. Cheers. 
Kiva Sweeney's been the birthday girl. Yay! <laughs> Episode 33, baby. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Kiva. Happy birthday to you. Thanks so much. His, his birthday is not the most awkward thing, though, especially being sung. Someone said happy birthday to me in work the other day, my my manager. And he saw happy birthday and hugged me. And I was all, thanks, happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> too. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.